Welcome, everybody, to another Wednesday night. How are y'all doing out there? See some great names in the chat already. Dylan, Kabir, Rachel, Michelle, what's up? Over on the Rockson side, Rockfin side, I see Cody and Artist Seer. What's up, Mari? Very, very fun conversation on tonight. And definitely going to be quite freewheeling. So one thing that, uh, you know, we don't always go into that often in, in my podcast, but I have a huge fascination with all things fringe. I've been an avid listener of a particular show for over 10 years, Mysterious Universe. And I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know how you get better than that. Hilarious, well-rounded content that will over time give you an education first class in all the weirdness that may or may not be possible. And I appreciate these topics, even when maybe there's the hint of uh, bullshit <laughs> or there's, you know, just beyond believability going on. Because as you just take in more and more of the accounts, you a can expand your imagination on what is actually possible in this reality. And B, you start to see the patterns that will either give you the ring of truth through their consistency or show you the gist of the grift in terms of how people copy off of each other for uh, for attention. And I think that there's definitely some of both things going on. There's for sure more possible in this reality than we can imagine. And it always will expand in that direction because this is a mental reality and uh, nature is nature is to expand. And on the other hand, I think there's many true believers of particular topics in the paranormal who perhaps actually start out with good intentions, sharing what they think is useful information or important without firsthand knowledge of it, then maybe start to weave themselves into the tale, believing their life is a, a movie or something and justifying it because, well, the people need to know, even if it didn't really happen to me. So I have a lot of opinions about fringe subjects, actually, but I haven't even introduced our guest for tonight. We have Chris Matthew of the Forbidden Knowledge News podcast, and we had a really awesome time on his show not that long ago. So make sure you go look it up and give him a follow. Sure, there's going to be something on there that tickles your fancy, whether ET abductions or Bigfoots or what have you. <laughs> so, uh, what's up? Without further ado, Chris Matthew, how you doing? Hey, man? Chance, thank you so much for having me. What's up, Slick? Thank you, guys. It's great to be here. Looking forward to this conversation. It's always fun being on the other side of the microphone for a little bit. Yeah, Gabe, do you have any thoughts on uh, on the paranormal fringe world that you want to introduce with? Yeah, well, I'm I'm really excited to that we're gonna that we're taking this turn to, uh, this week. You know, it's like uh, one thing I love and I thrive in. <laughs> you got the cup. He's got the cup. That's great. Uh, I I completely thrive with permission to speculate. And as long as you can gain permission to speculate with people, it's like you're getting you they're giving you the steering wheel on their imagination for just a little while. And if people give me permission to be the tour guide in the realm of the imaginary, we're going to have a great time. <laughs> <laughs> right on. All right. Well, you know, maybe we should just introduce you a little further. I, I don't know a lot about you, man. I just had a really fun time talking with you and knew that we should continue this. So yeah, tell me about I Chris am, Matthew. Uh, I am host and creator and producer of Forbidden Knowledge News. I'm just a regular dude. I started blogging on Facebook in about at about 2000. Uh, 
2018. No, it was about 2016. I started blogging on Facebook, just about all the topics I was becoming interested in. That was my kind of awakening period. Then I started researching everything from ufology to occult history, spirituality, all the fun stuff that that I cover, conspiracies. And I was just going deep down rabbit holes. And I found out very quick that you can't just talk to everyone about some of these topics. So I started a Facebook blog to to vent the the energy and information that I was taking in on a daily basis. And it was super fun. But at the time, it was just a hobby. And it's picked up a little steam. People enjoyed my blog. So I decided to do a podcast. And some of the topics I was getting into, I wasn't well versed in. So I decided, why not interview some of my favorite researchers and authors and people I respected that were way more intelligent than me and well versed in some of these topics and have them on my podcast. And I started interviewing some of my favorite people. I eventually got to amazing people like Jordan Maxwell, Billy Carson, David Icke, Brian Forrester, Danny Sheehan, as the list goes on and on of just amazing people that I that were kind enough to come and speak with me on my little show. That eventually started to pick up steam and I was eventually was able to quit my corporate life-sucking job and do this as a full-time gig and I was living in South Louisiana at the time, had a profound, uh, you could call it contact experience. It was a meditative experience where I'm connected with what I understand as my higher self and my spirit guides. And it blew me wide open as far as what I wanted to do with this show and my potential. I just quit my job uh, like weeks after that experience. It was that profound. And I I was able to move to Colorado and start doing this full time. At the time that I left, I was making maybe a couple hundred dollars a month off this show. I took out my 401k, which wasn't much, and moved out to Colorado on a wing and a prayer in hopes that the show would take off. And within a, a I don't know, maybe six months, I were looking at the revenue and I'm like, man, we can pay our rent with this this month. And next month we're like, oh, we can pay our rent and eat food this month. So it's like it just kept getting better and better. And the universe was working with me, man. I I I, I took the the information that uh, that occurred during those profound experiences and I implemented the suggestions from what I understand is my higher self and spirit guides. and took off and went with it and the universe apparently rewarded me for it. And here I am now and I'm producing a documentary right now. The podcast is, is incredible. It's always uh, top 50 in our category on Apple. We just hit the top 120 in the, in the Apple news uh, commentary. I mean the Apple news section which is crazy. We were like beating all the Fox newses and all that stuff. So that it's pretty insane what's happening. And I'm grateful and blessed for it all. It's all surreal. I never expected any of it. And that's where I'm at. That's wonderful, wow. man. Love the story of taking the leap of faith and seeing how it's actually harder to like drag your feet and pace around at the edge of the cliff than it is to just fucking jump. You know what yeah, I mean? Man. I jump at everything now. I've learned from that. And I also learned that 
once you take that first step and you show that initiative, it's like you trigger some sort of energy in the universe and it rewards you with five extra steps ahead and kind of propels you a little bit. It also sends you what I believe is these synchronicities as messages and kind of like a code for you to follow to to develop where you want to go and where you want to be. And the universe will continually send to these these synchronicities and events and happenings and even people into your life that if you're on the right track and you're you're trucking out this this positive energy and you're you're doing what you you feel your purpose is i believe it's complete you're completely rewarded by the universe and it will give you a little boost and propulsion in a certain direction if you know what i mean 100 percent, man 100 percent. i yeah i like this comment dig your leap of faith principle of physical manifestation congrats chris totally man and uh, congrats on how well the show's doing I remember how exciting it was to see, you know, the chart rankings on iTunes go up to a certain level and just be like, wow, we're reaching people. It's 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 interesting how too how few downloads it takes to actually get high up in the ranking at this point, how spread out everybody like decentralized everybody's information intake is. I think that's why the old dinosaur networks are just totally oh, yeah. failing because they were they required the big, big numbers to even operate with their advertising. So I'm going to drop a, a link in the chat here for everybody. If they want to join our Telegram group, Vibrant Calls, t-t.me slash Vibrant Calls. That's where they can leave us a voicemail or ask questions or send us videos or send us uh, images. And if they're appropriate and they fit the flow, then we'll definitely put them in. The voicemails pretty much always make it in. So I wanted to offer that to everybody. I like to have some interactivity on, on the Vibrants. And uh, Chris, I'm sorry I forgot to tell you that tonight the uniform was a gray tank top. Ah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I missed the memo on that one. Damn. <laughs> we oh, were psychic. We psychically agreed to it. Apparently. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll, I'll have it in my, my astral body. I'm, that's what I'm wearing. Nice. Uh, Chris, Chris, what part of Colorado did you end up? Are you in Denver? I was in Denver when I first moved out here off a suggestion from my producer. It was okay. I'm not a city type of guy. So I moved to Northern Colorado, uh, 30 minutes from Wyoming near the foothills. And it's an amazing out here. So I couldn't be nice. happier where I'm at right now. Very nice. That's great. Yeah. yeah. I got, I got some roots in, uh, in the Boulder Longmont area mm. myself. Uh, so yeah, yeah it's, it's, so, it's just so beautiful compared to what I've been used to. I lived in the South my whole life, Louisiana, Florida, and it's beautiful down there. I love it, but it's nothing compared to once you get, to this elevation in the mountains, it's breathtaking. Some of these locations out here. Well, speaking of elevated, tell me more about your experience contacting spirit guides or higher self. I'm kind of sure. curious about that. Yeah, it it was. It's a a multi layered experience to say the least. It started when I I had been doing the podcast for a couple of years and it was pretty popular it was picking up, but I wasn't really doing anything with it. I wasn't translating into any revenue or way for me to survive. I was still working a corporate job that I absolutely hated. I was uh, slinging TV and internet service and, and cell phone service for a major corporate company. And I really didn't, I didn't enjoy Lying to people, I didn't enjoy the practice. I didn't enjoy anything about what I was doing, and I knew I wasn't supposed to be doing this, and I knew that I wanted to do this podcasting thing and talk show full time and 
see where that would lead me, but I didn't know how to make that work. And I was scared and all the normal things and depressed because I couldn't make it work. And it was a rough time for me in general. I had, I was going through a bad relationship, bad enough to where I had to get a restraining order on this chick. And it was, it was not a good time in my life. And I wasn't sure where I was going to go. And I, I had at that point, I had had no spiritual experiences, no paranormal experience, nothing I couldn't explain, nothing that really connected me to the the possibility that there's something beyond myself. I wanted to believe that. That's why I've always been interested in the weird and paranormal and conspiracies and hidden. And that's why I did the show. So I was always exploring that, but never had that real experience. Well, I was, I didn't know what to do, depressed, and I was getting suggestions, meditate, 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 and that was just always something that came up, so apparently that was something I was supposed to do. One night, I am in my front yard speaking with uh, one of my neighbors, and I was looking up at the sky, and I see these these three kind of bright orange lights in a triangular formation. They're slowly going up in the sky, and they look like fire. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, wow, and I'm trying to get my neighbor's attention to look at it, but he's just talking. He doesn't pay attention to anything. And all of a sudden, these things just sh- kind of shoot off into nothing. And I was like, damn, that was interesting. I'll file that in the interesting file. I don't know if it was anything unexplainable or what. But, you know, I just kind of forgot about it later and went about my business. And that evening, I, I don't know if this is that was connected to anything I'm about to tell you, but it was interesting. It may have been part of the story. It may not. So I start to I start to meditate. This is I, I was horrible at it at this time. I couldn't I couldn't get to a relaxed enough state. My mind was rapidly always just moving. I couldn't I just couldn't let go. And I would get suggestions on how, and I started taking the suggestions, 432 hertz tones. And the biggest one for that really, I believe, worked for me was something was telling me to get in water or have a part of my body in water. So I was in the tub and I um, had 432 hertz tones on. And within a very short amount of time, I was more relaxed than ever. And I actually got into a deep, relaxed, meditative state where there was just nothing but peace and just nothingness and blackness. And it felt amazing. And all of a sudden, I feel like my consciousness is just being pulled somewhere. And it's it's like I'm traveling through like a portal or or I don't know, it's it's it feels like my consciousness is racing somewhere. And at the same time, I'm absorbing information, just tons of information. And I couldn't tell you, I couldn't tell you what it was at the time. I just know that I was like, I was being downloaded with history of the world, geometry, secrets of the universe. It was all like splashing into my brain. I didn't know what was going on. And I believe that I've unpacked a lot of that information from that time until now. And I'm still probably because it'll I'll just have these understandings that come out of nowhere. But at the time, it was kind of terrifying. I didn't know what was happening. And then after all this information just kind of rushes into to my mind, I'm in another peaceful state and there's blackness, nothingness. And in my subconscious vision, I can see this blue bright light moving, getting larger and larger, seemingly closer to my wherever I am in this astral state. And the as the blue light gets closer and closer, I start to feel this just like amazing, beautiful feeling 
And I, all I can say was love, it was love, but love like I've never felt before. I thought I love mom and dad. I thought, you know, I love, this was something that was such a, a powerful knowing of what love is. And it was like, I was on a drug. It was like amazing feeling. And I knew that it was just instinctively, I knew this was a feeling of love. And then all of a sudden I, I hear a voice speaking to me and it was, it was just an amazing instantaneous com- contact uh, like conversation where this voice said, hello. And I, I, I responded in my mind and the, the communication was so instantaneous before I could even respond that the other voice was finishing its statement about the question. And it was very, it was very strange, but it seemed like such an efficient way to communicate. And then I started to get nervous. I'm like, what's going on? Am I, who am I talking to? This is not me. And I was like, this is not me. And I started to get kind of nervous. I grew up Catholic and I kind of reverted to some, I guess, childhood dogma or something. And I was like, in the name of Jesus, are you demon? Are you good? And I could just feel like this laughing and love and just, just beautiful, warm feeling. And it's like, I can hear it laughing. It's like, yes, I'm good. I'm here for you. I mean, it's, it's something like I'm a part of you. This is time for us to have a conversation because you're ready for it. Like, okay. So at this time I'm in, I'm in my tub in water in this meditative state and I, my eyes open and I thought I had blown out the whole thing. I thought I, I lost the connection to whatever it is, but I could still communicate with this thing. I was out seemingly out of the, the meditative state, but everything kind of looked a little hazy and a little different. Like if you've ever done mushrooms and you start to feel that feeling, that's what it kind of felt like when I was, and I was up around walking around my house and this voice and intelligence is communicating with me, telling me it's time for us to sit down and have a conversation. You've been needing to do this. It's time you, there's some things that you want in your life that I can help you achieve. And there's things you need to do first. And there were the, some of the main messages of what this entity was telling first was heal childhood trauma, uh, heal all the traumatic events in your life and get rid of some of these, this muck and spiritual attachments that are holding you back. That was one of the main things. The other one is quit your toxic job, quit this horrible job. Doesn't matter what you think. Doesn't matter what money you're making. This is not for you. You need to quit this and go do your podcast. That is what you need to do. And that message was so strong and the, it, it kept reiterating things I needed to do and that it would be periodically communicating with me to help me achieve some of these goals. And interestingly enough, one of the things that came up in the conversation was psychedelics. I used to do psychedelics as like a teenager, as a party thing, and I hadn't done them for years, hadn't even thought about them. Well, psychedelic mushrooms in particular came up and they were like, you're, they knew I, for some reason, well, apparently it knew I was going to, interested in moving to, to Colorado. And it was like the voice was telling me that magic mushrooms were an easier way to facilitate a, a quick conversation, basically, with this entity. And at the time, I'm like, I'm thinking this is an extraterrestrial or alien. I have no idea what I'm talking to. I didn't really come to this understanding until like lots of conversations with people and lots of experiences after that with this communication. 
So I, I get the understanding that magic mushrooms will help facilitate an easy communication with whatever this is. And that, along with quit your job, heal childhood trauma, get rid of your emotional baggage, and you'll be on your way. That that was kind of that experience lasted for a couple of hours and the connection with this being just kind of faded away eventually. It was incredible. I still didn't know at that time. I was like, maybe I had an acid flashback. Maybe I'm going crazy. I don't know what's happening right now. So I started reaching out to people talking to because I was doing the talk show. I knew a lot of experiencers. I know a lot of spiritual people. And I just started trying to find out what the hell's going on. The next day I wanted to have the, I was so excited. Like I, I need to do this again. I need to know if this is real. How to, did I do that? How do I do this again? I tried again. I think it was two nights. I tried nothing. I was just, you know, sitting there just in the water, nothing. Well, it was the third night that I was able to meditate again and I got to that deep state. And this time it was like I was reliving a childhood memory. And it was very clear and vivid. And I, I walked through the whole memory and it was a very traumatic event. That's something that happened to me at a, at a, as a child. And it shook me up and I was I processed the whole thing and remembered. And I was like, damn, I can't believe I just remembered that out of nowhere. And all of a sudden I feel the blue light and the love and this being is there communicating again with me. Uh, asking if I was ready for for some more conversation, if you were ready to learn more. I was like, yeah, let's have, what are you? <laughs> and I, I started to get this vision that I was in my subconscious vision. I was somewhere else. I was looking around and it was like a, it's like a very sterile environment, gunmetal gray floors, and they had different levels. And I'm I'm opening my eyes again and I'm in my tub and I'm looking around and I close my eyes. Same things, just sterile environment. I could see out windows and outside the windows, it's like outer space. It looks just like stars in space. And I'm sitting there and I'm I'm kind of looking around and all of a sudden I feel love, but it's like I can tell that it's from different beings. I can tell I'm feeling love from something else other than this first guy that I was talking to and all of a sudden I'm looking around this etheric environment this, this this looks like a spaceship or something and all of a sudden these other beings start to kind of manifest and, and show up in in my my astral vision they were like little human hybrid animal animal human hybrid beings that were wearing these green robes they were like translucent looking, very regal. I mean, they didn't look like silly, you know, animal. They looked like humanoids, but with these, you know, these distinct animal features at times. Even one that looked like a frogman. And this frogman actually started communicating with me, asked me if I was ready for, you know, to do something in my life. And I wish I could have remembered exactly what the conversation was there, but I was just like bawling, crying at this point because it was so profound. And I'm like talking with these little hybrid animal etheric beings and they're beaming me love and they're like walking me through things that I, I should do to to heal my trauma. And I'm kind of reliving a few other events and it was so profound and amazing. And I'm sitting in the bathtub crying and eventually this experience kind of goes away. And within about... I don't know, three or four months of that. That's when I decide that I hadn't had any more experiences for, for a while. So after three or four months, I'm just like, 
I am downloaded. I feel incredible. I hate my job more than ever. Like I can't even stand being at my job for more than two minutes. Uh, it's it's like the, there was some kind of repulsion there that wasn't there before these experiences. I'd even feel nauseous and sick going there. And eventually I just couldn't. My boss said something to me and I was like, nope. And I just I just left. I was like, no, I've got pulled out my 401k. I was just like, all right, I, I'm, I'm going to do this. And within a few months, I'm off to Colorado. I'm growing magic mushrooms, ready to do some vision quests. And that's where it all started. And then through the magic mushroom vision quests, I, I gained a lot of other amazing things. And what a good storyteller you are. <laughs> I appreciate that, dude. Uh, oh, thank you. Shoot. There's a lot there to respond to. Yeah. You know, I had experiences. I've had plenty of experiences with psilocybin. I've had, I've been on a micro, like a mycelium phone call before, <laughs> you know, with people that aren't alive anymore or like yeah. figures that were teachers that I've learned from, but are deceased, like from the past, all that is very interesting and possible. You know, like when we get into the realm of the imagination, there's this idea in the mainstream that imagination is something fake. And there's the capacity for us to imagine things that are fictional to the physical reality. But the truth about imagination is that everything is imagination, (laughs) (laughs) you know, you know, like uh, thinking isn't uh, imagining isn't a type of thinking. All thinking is a type of imagining. So I really, really love that. And uh, I, I know what those epiphanies are like in meditation too, where all of a sudden you have this unraveling of all the great mysteries moment where there's this, aha, the epiphany has arrived. Now I get it. And then like 30 seconds later, you're like, what was I thinking about? Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of what it's like for sure. You know, I've actually had a little trouble getting into the zone though. You're talking about for a couple of years now. And so I'm going to try the, the water method. <laughs> that, for some there's some reason, connectivity to that. I've always loved water though. I started swimming at like, I don't know, one or two years old and always had an affinity towards water and always just, I I don't know, water was always special to me for some reason. So, you know, maybe there's a connection there. I don't know. But, you know, as soon as you said, as soon as you mentioned the tub, my mind brought in a a million linguistical links uh, into that ingredient of the of the recipe. and that is the, you know, the tub is the, um, it's the prime ordeal, the mm. first ordeal. It's a birthing ritual, you know, <laughs> it's bath, tub. It's, that's literally the same word, but either way you spin it, but it also becomes Beth becomes a house, a vessel, a sacred space. It also means language as well. Uh, so the idea that you, uh, felt a desire to go into the water to make this communication more possible is like so intuitively uh, impeccable. That's just completely Uh, on point. Let me bring this whole water thing to full circle here. And I'm going to tell you about my most profound psychedelic experience that I've had since I started doing my vision quests specifically with the intent of communicating with spirit guides and healing childhood trauma and anything that will go along with that. And this happened last year. And I, like I said, I had 
grown magic mushrooms for a while. I would do vision quests once or twice a month. And they were not your small microdoses. They were your heroic doses of five or more grams. And this time I was with one of my ex-girlfriends and we were, she was, she was a psych, well, she is a psychic and she is, she has done therapy sessions and she's helped people with traumatic experiences. So we thought, why not take mushrooms together and maybe we can heal some of our childhood traumas and she can walk me through some of these experiences. And that's what we did this experience. Well, it turns out she had never done mushrooms before, but she wanted to try it. She started out with just a couple of maybe one or two grams. And after a couple of hours, I'm dripping balls. I'm, you know, I, I've, feeling it as I'm at almost at the peak of the, the experience and she is not feeling anything. She says, you know, I feel a little sleepy. I don't, you know, it was, she was definitely not, not trippy. She didn't, she didn't display any, anything like that. And so I gave her more by the end of the like three hours, she had taken about five grams for her first experience. And she did not, she said that she just felt a little sleepy and she said she felt connected. Like she, was able to be in contact with her spirit guides immediately. And there were some strange things that happened that I, I don't know if it was because I was tripping in these things we're experiencing, but she, she said that they were happening and she didn't seem to be under these experience things like she would tell the, the radio to, to lower the music and it, it would. And she actually asked it to change the station and it did and she said that these things actually happen. Like I said, I don't, I don't know because I was actually under the influence. But what did happen to me was we were walking through a childhood experience. I was reliving it. We, we got to the root of it, and it was incredible. I felt a release, and I felt amazing for you know about five to ten minutes after that whole walkthrough of that experience. Well, <laughs> right. As I'm just like, I feel like I'm ready to to wind down and I thought this was a great experience and it's towards the tail end of, of the, the mushroom experience. I'm talking with her and what she's saying starts to become stranger and more dark. And it sounded something like, yeah, I found you. Shortly after you were born, I attached myself to you. I helped you. Through all your experience, I got you to where you are now and you don't want me around anymore. You don't love me. And she said that she, I shit you not, shapeshifted into like this giant reptilian creature, about six, seven. She even grew. Like what I understand happened is I had a spiritual attachment that was attached to this traumatic event that did not want to leave. And it took over my perception. And what I saw, it, what it manifested into was this giant lizard demon that proceeded to chase me around my house asking if I still loved it. And my whole house proceeded to change into a dungeon. And look, I've had plenty of psychedelic experiences. I've never had anything like this. I've never had these hallucinations where you're, I you know, can't tell what's real and what's not. I, I thought I had died and gone to hell, literally. I was like, oh, I just died. This is what's happened. I just I, the mushrooms are bad. I died. I'm in hell. I have to live with this now. So I didn't know what's going on. I'm running around my house, seven foot tall reptilian demon that used to be my girlfriend is chasing me around. 
my whole house has changed. I have mold on my walls. I look outside and the sky is red. It's not blue sky anymore. It's red sky. And I'm like, what is going on? So I'm like, water. I just came to me. Go to the water. I jump in the shower. I start, the shower starts pouring down on me and I start praying. I'm like, God, help me. What is going on? God, I need you. I don't know what to do. And all of a sudden I feel like this loud rumbling within inside myself and I start to shake and I hear you are being deceived and as that voice came through I shit you not I puked up thick black viscous material into the the shower it, it was like I wish it wouldn't have gone down the I wish I could have saved it just to examine what the fuck this stuff was because it looked like oil. It was so nasty and black. And I just kept puking it up. And as I was puking it up, the lights were flickering. And all of a sudden, boom, everything's back to normal. My bathroom's back to normal. It's brighter than ever, though. And I feel like amazing. I feel like there's this very powerful, loving presence in the in the same room with me. And it's incredible. I'm like, what's going on? I feel like I'm just so powerful and amazing. Well, it turns out as I was praying, my girlfriend's freaking out in the other room. She's like, what is, so she starts meditating and and she starts praying. And she says that she sees in her mind's eye, like this evil demon reptilian thing uh, attaching itself to me. And she called upon her, her spirit guides and her, her angels. And proceeded to banish whatever this thing was. And she said, as she imagined it going through the portal, that's when I started, she heard me puke in, in the other room. And it was all very, very profound experience. And, but after that, I felt incredible. Like I felt like a weight had been lifted that I had been carrying around since my childhood. It was amazing. So from what I understand, it was it was like this spiritual attachment didn't want to leave and kind of took over my perception. And, you know, what better time to do that when I'm tripping balls and just uh, had like an exorcism type experience, you know? Dude, yeah, I, honestly, the reason <laughs> I stopped doing big doses of mushrooms or even so there's a couple things like, first of all, the not feeling it thing. Uh, well, taking- I have to respond to the chat real quick. Yes, I broke up with her. She's she's actually not my girlfriend anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she she's got to go. <laughs> but uh, you know, I've had the experience of doing a psychedelic while I'm already kind of like pretty elevated in my, I don't know, vibration or expanded in my consciousness, and not really having much of an effect or any effect. So, but anyway, why I stopped doing mushrooms is because. I was seeing and being touched by and like being freaked out by people that no one else could see. Oh man. You know, and it was kind of like the ghost in Mario where if you uh, look at it, it stops moving, but if you look away, it comes at you, (laughs) but it was the opposite. (laughs) If I looked at it, it would come closer. If I looked away, it would stop. And uh, I had enough of that. So (laughs) crazy. Yeah. I haven't done mushrooms since that experience. Uh, So I think I'm, I'm going to, I think I'm good for a while, but Every experience, no, I take it back. I did, I have done mushrooms since, and ev- that experience and everyone before, 
was a profound, beautiful experience. I mean, I'd have my hero's journey where I'd have to face my demons and relive all these horrific experiences as a child. And I would go back to these. And then once I'm able to conquer that and relive it and feel good about it. It was like the experience was amazing and beautiful. And I, and that's when the spirit guides would show up and be like, all right, you did that. Let's talk some more. And we'd have some more conversations. So that's the way those, those, those kind of vision quests usually went. Well, so man, the really interesting part of this is the water part. Mm -hmm. I've been thinking about water in its relation to the savior or the mediator in all the different versions of mythology, whether it's mm. Jesus or Mercury or Hermes or Odin, what have you, there's always this connection to water and they call in the, in the, um, the occulted or the esoteric version of the ancient mystery schools, they were referring to these savior deities and their different incarnations in the world as like the, the God or the Lord of the seculum, which means the Lord of the current age or the next age. And in a way, actually, that means that they're an antichrist because they're the next Christ or the mm. replacement Christ. And so, so there's a lot of misunderstanding about the idea of antichrist, <laughs> but that's a side yeah. subject. Maybe we'll go into But anyway, one of the names for the seculum or world ages uh, that maybe are 600 years, 608 years, 650, depending on the cult, the culture, the time period and their knowledge of astronomical cycles and what they believed about them in their calculations. They would call this age the Neros or the Neros. And, you know, you have one of the versions of it being Bacchus. He's related to water. You know, Jesus with his baptismal stuff, water, John the Baptist and water. It goes on and on with the connections to water. And I found, I've been studying Greek lately, and I found out that the word for water in Greek is Nero. The exact same word as the world age that is part of the secret, like you won't even find receipts on this word Nero referring to seculum. Uh, if you Google it, you know, you'd have to be a pretty good Google searcher, maybe searching the sacred text archive or something specifically for a word match. But anyway, uh, it makes me wonder if in the bathtub, what you talked to was whatever this being is, that is the mediator between humanity and the most high. And that it's a part of you. Yeah. But it's a part of all of us. Because mm. I, you know, I've heard so many stories like what you're talking about where they meet the the guide, not like a guide, but like the guide. I, I know somebody <laughs> got struck by lightning and then started being visited by Thoth and all of a sudden knew a bunch of like alchemical shit that they hadn't <laughs> studied and, and just had to put it into paintings. Like all of a sudden they could paint like a motherfucker. <laughs> I should show some of her pictures. But anyway, the last thing about about all the stuff you're talking about that I want to respond to is I have been very, you know, I, I was a big Kool-Aid drinker when I started researching fringe and esoteric and metaphysics and all that. And so I've kind of had a pendulum swing into high levels of skepticism because, there, you know, there's a lot of just parroting that goes on that without firsthand knowledge. And then we're talking about subjective experiences. So like, where do I draw the line? And so I kind of just have been highly, highly skeptical, but you know, highly skeptical of anything that's not our shared consensus sense based reality that I, I mean, I, I still back that up that we gain knowledge through our senses. However, I was talking to Mario on the previous episode of Interverse. Great dude. You would probably love to have a talk with him. And 
Mario Garza, symbolic studies. And he was bringing, we were talking about the Klepothic or the, the underside, the, the reverse negative mirror image of the Kabbalistic idea of the tree of life. And he was referring to this as like universe B. And mm. after the conversation, I had this flash of like, I don't know, it felt like an epiphany realizing that how nature designs things is always in this binary. You know, it starts with one, but then it multiplies into two and then to four, eight, 16, 32, 64, et cetera. So all of a sudden I'm like, wait a minute, there is, there is reason not to maybe assume, but to be very open to the possibility that whatever our physical construct reality is, has some kind of counterpart, you know, some kind of mirror image. And maybe that's what we're able to sort of slip in between at, at certain points in our mind. And like you were, you know, you were seeing with the, the hell version of your apartment or your house or whatever you were seeing yeah. where you're at, where Chris was at in universe B, you know, something, maybe I don't so. know. It's just really wild though. Yeah, it could be. I, I love to consider that. I think that, there are that we do live in a, a dualistic type of reality, but I think there is multiple layers and that there are po- probably multiple types of realities. But when we're looking at lower and higher dimensions, there are probably multiple layers of lower and multiple layers of higher types of dimensions. Uh, but I think that there's also this underlying type of energy or force or ether that can be manipulated either way to the positive or negative. And this is the force that dictates everything that that surrounds us at all time that we interact with, that we would call magic, that we, we would manipulate for anti-gravity, zero point energy, this force that is I believe it could also be just pure consciousness and that even what we understand as paranormal is this energy, this pure consciousness, maybe manifesting or interacting with us based on our perception or awareness, but it could swing to the positive or negative depending on either our intent or what our interaction with or the collective, where the collective is. So it's very interesting to consider, though. Yeah, man, the water, the water ingredient that set me off on so in so many ways. I, um, I, uh, J and B are the symbol of initiation in so many ways, but it's John the Baptist is one of the strongest examples of how J and B is the, an initiation. It's also a one and a two, which is the first. All journeys begin with the first foot forward. So the the matrix is measured in 12s. So all things one to two are the first step forward. And so uh, when you mentioned using the water as a conduit and then coming out feeling purified and redeemed, you know, these are, we use biblical religious language to describe this, uh, what is a very, modern experience you know what i mean Mm -hmm. but i definitely see a lot of strong parallels with the idea of a baptism 
if you supercharge it with anticipation, if you fast beforehand, if you do it on the right day that your ancestors did it on the same time of year with the exact same angle of the sun, all of those programs are uh, waiting to be awakened inside of us, you know? And so in a... uh... It makes me think of the Emoto experiments with the water and the different frequencies. And I've had multiple experiences, psychedelic experiences, where I'm in water and I go through a death and rebirth type of process. And that has actually happened multiple times. And then you consider the aspect that certain native cultures believe that there is a spirit in water that that carries everything it carries the memories of of all of our history and our ancestors through the streams and shores so i think there's definitely a very powerful aspect to to water and the way we interact with it and the way that it's been tampered with and abused and it, you know the water the bottled water that we get and that we drink out of their tap water and the fluoridated ited water. Water is our life. It's everything. We are made up of water. The universe is supposedly made up of water. Everything is, is mostly water in our reality. So why wouldn't this water hold life force and memories and consciousness and be one of the most powerful forces that we can interact with? Right. And let's take it, let's take it to another level, like real subtle, subtle, uh, intuitive level. Before there was the techne that gave man a mirror, you had to go to a puddle of water to see your own likeness. So the water is the original twin, the original twin. Before we had all the bling, we had a little standing pool of water, a still pool of water. And now, uh, I just I have to mention, I just learned this week that Eros, one of some people and some cosmologies, he was the first god made. He was... Protogonos. Uh, Protogonos. <laughs> first yes. born. Yeah, Eros. It's the same word as Nero. Nero. Whoever right, the, right. The, so whoever the Nero is, or the Lord of the Seculum, is yep. the reincarnation of the firstborn of the first cause. Yes. So Eros is born and he's weak. He doesn't progress. He stays young. He's not, uh, he's not challenged. He's just going to stay the same. This is some Kirk Kallenbach stuff going on here. That everybody's only one year old because they celebrate their birthday every year. They stay one year old. His parents consult the, uh, the oracles and they say he needs a brother to, uh, to bring him forward, to challenge him so he can strive. And so I never knew until this week, Eros has a twin brother named Anteros. In Anteros, he is, the, uh, he is considered like the god of unrequited love. And so his name, Anteros, some people think it means like anti-Eros, right? The anti-love. But it also means, this is fascinating, this linguistical, it also means counter love. And if you keep track of his, uh, his responsibilities, he's a counter. He's literally keeping tally. Oh, I loved you more than you loved me. So you owe me one love now. So he's a love counter. Also, he's keeping a tally on uh, what love is all about. And I think it's E-R-O-S, A-N-T. E-R-O-S, Aunt Eros. 
But it, that, I mean, that's philologically like Antares too. Interesting. Totally. Totally. Uh, the Royal Star. Yes. I just happened to have, I'm not even kidding. I just happened to have this mosaic of Eros from Antioch open <laughs> when you started nice. talking about Eros. Not, oh, that's no beautiful. Joke. So, yeah, I just wanted to put that in there that the twin idea literally is born out of water. And when you look in the eyes of your fellow man, you're looking into a pool of water and you're seeing every time you're seeing yourself, but mm-hmm. on a, a level that is subconscious, it's subliminal. Uh, so I just wanted to put the water in the twin and the fact that I just learned that some of these gods also had twins all along. Uh, pretty profound, pretty fun stuff. Yeah, that is super interesting. Wow. So the other thing that was open on my uh, tabs is this King Shupiluliuma <laughs> from ancient, ancient Turkey, like around the roundabouts of Antioch. Gabe and I have been talking about Antioch today. But look at this guy's hat. He looks like a mushroom. I just yeah. thought that was interesting. Yeah, man, mushroom, I think psychedelics are amazing. I don't recommend anyone do psychedelics. For me, it was a profound tool for my mental health and healing uh, childhood trauma. But if you think of like some of the symbology of things like Super Mario Brothers, he eats the mushroom, he grows powerful, he is able to, to battle the evil forces and win the the game so it's it's very interesting some of the symbology of course that you've seen throughout even ancient cultures like you were just showing i think that there is really something to opening our consciousness and giving us the access to things that we didn't have before before using psychedelics i remember the first time i did LSD and it was this is the first time I've ever done any type of psychedelics I was like 16 the next day I had just I felt like something was different in my brain I felt like I had a different outlook on the universe and everybody that I talk to who has had psychedelic experiences has this similar sentiment that something changed in them after they have a different perspective of what reality is So I think that they are, they're given to us for a reason. If, uh, you know, like I said, they're not probably not for everybody, but I think that when used correctly, we can unlock parts of our consciousness that may have been dormant for a little while. So in this context of dormant parts of our consciousness, which is our ability to perceive our, our field of what we can feel, and seeing little hybrid guys in green robes and all of that. <laughs> so what do you think in terms of, uh, you know, can we talk a little bit about what you've learned from r- researching the contact phenomenon? You know, like where, where I, what I see going on here is so much similarity to fairy folklore and all that. And even ideas of like, demons or what have you, Mm. which is a misunderstood idea from the ancient world. Demons refer to the spirits of the dead, not infernal spirits per se. But, uh, you know, do you think that there's maybe a little bit of this, a little bit of that going on or that, you know, we're, well, I think there's two, there's, there's probably two different sides of this. There's the consciousness aspect where in my belief, what we're interacting with is 
pure consciousness or source energy or some sort of intelligence that is interconnecting everything that we have can gain access to through ourselves. And that could include a whole range of phenomena from people what people consider extraterrestrials, ghosts, uh, interdimensional beings, whatever, you know, these conscious intelligences, in my belief, it's, it's all kind of the same thing and it can manifest to each person differently. And then they have what I believe is the physical intelligence operation side or the military industrial complex fucking with people side, which is basically a psychological operation to perpetuate the either the extraterrestrials put that into the consciousness of people or just misdirection in general well for whatever reason i think it's a psychological cooperation i do believe people have genuine contact experiences and and interactions with non-human intelligences but when it comes to these physical experiences where people are being taken and having things shoved up their butt and they are claiming to being taken off planet and ships and all these incredible experiences, I believe that it may be either psychosis or these people are being taken by uh, military abductions uh, by high level intelligence people or just maybe they're there have very advanced mind control capabilities. Have you guys read Camellio, the book by Robert Guffey? No. All right. Well, this I'm having Robert Guffey on next month. This book is about, it's supposedly a true story about a gentleman who was being illegally surveyed and harassed by three letter agencies and military industrial complex because they claimed he stole high advanced military goggles or something stupid like that. And they wanted him to admit it and return them. And he wouldn't on top of that, he's a heroin addict. Okay. So none of his stories could be taken seriously. He was just like a junkie. So he, and according to him, they started to harass him first. It started by gang stalking people outside of his house, phone calls, threats. People would meet with him and say, are you ready to give us the goggles yet? just men in black type situations, harassment. Then it turned really dark. He said they would start sending, he called them UFOs to his houses. But at, this is, oh, keep in mind, this is in the 90s. This is like mid 90s. They said they were sending UFOs to his houses, which were actually drones. We didn't see, we didn't know we had these advanced of drones back then, but apparently we did. They were sending drones to his house that could mimic UFOs. They had some sort of advanced cloaking technology that they would send people into his house with this cloaked like shit all over them and like push stuff around, make him think he'd have poltergeist, push him, touch him. And it was just actually people in this cloak technology. And he'd have like an agent meet him the next day after an experience, be like, you ready to give up those goggles yet? And he'd be like, no, I know it's you doing this. And like he, they, they got weirder and weirder. He'd start looking out his window. He said he'd look out his window one time and he saw planet, like an extra planet in the sky and just a different, a different landscape. Like he was on a different planet and he ran outside and everything was normal. Everything's like fine. He runs back to the window and it's like this fucking planet outside. They just kept going on and on with this harassment. And this was in the 90s. I think I, I heard imagine, this story on MU. Imagine what kind of technology they have now. 
and what they're doing to people on a regular basis and what they could possibly do on a global scale when it comes to deception with some of this yeah. stuff, you know? Okay. I, I gotta, I want to put a, a little, uh, catch a couple cliff notes to that story about seeing a planet outside the window and trying to go away and come back and seeing it still there. Yeah. That has echoes, historical echoes in really significant places. Um, really? Yes. And so the first one is Napoleon is reported to have had the skinny red man who would visit him and give him advice. And, his, and he would take the skinny red man's advice or thin red man. They've actually kind of sifted this story to like they've thinned it out on the Internet over the years. So it's actually harder to find. But he would take this little red man's advice and he would always win. But as soon as he stopped taking advice from the little red man was the decline of his of his success. Oh, in, in the time that he stopped taking that advice, one of his advisors came into his room uh, and uh, Napoleon was staring out the window and wouldn't was like oh, in, a, in a daze. And the advisor started to leave. He like said what he needed to say and start, tried to walk out. And Napoleon was like, hey, do you see that star, that brilliant star brighter even than the sun? do you see how close it is? Are you seeing what I'm seeing? And he's like describing the psychedelic vision out of the window. Yeah. And, and so we get the report from the messenger. We don't get it from Napoleon's lips. This is like, you know, a witness uh, account. Well, yeah. Carl Jung has a defining moment in his career where he's in a psych ward. There's a crazy man standing by a window and he's walking past the crazy man. The crazy man's like, Hey, Hey, come here, come here. I got to show you something. And the crazy man like speaks this poem about what he's seeing on the horizon. And it has to do with how the sun is not as far away as they say it is. It might actually be closer. And can you see how this star off to the side is actually uh, about to consume the sun? It's like this weird poem. Well, Carl Jung just kind of put that in his pocket for later. And it was later on, he's reading the archives of history. And he finds this random description that's like, uh, uh, immortalized in culture and this guy in the hospital had no access to it none and carl young was converted when he found that guy's poem wow. in the historical annals so i just wanted to kind of put these little cliff notes for you when you go and talk to that guy because that vision out of the window has a lot of very powerful echoes in very like uh, monumentally uh historic altering events that you know that makes me think of how did we get this if if indeed that was the truth that they were illegally surveying and harassing this guy with extremely advanced technology that was 50 to 100 years ahead where did we get did we just come up with this stuff or were we being communicated yes. okay i forgot to say that part i'm glad you asked that to bring it back because there's a theory out there i have not gotten into it but the theory is that carl young was actually a targeted individual Mm. And that his entire psychedelic movement that he is the figurehead of was fabricated. Uh, That's another thing. How many people are propped up and given right. little nudges in certain directions because they're on a certain path or they are who they are. They're working on something or know something. That's super interesting. Yes. Yeah. And so wouldn't it be something for, Carl Jung's like guided 
I mean, what do we, I mean, we call it stalker. Isn't that what they are targeted individual? Targeted individual. Yeah. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Carl Jung was like a proto targeted individual in the results of that, uh, like are almost laying a path for other people to walk in his footsteps. Mm. And so it's very fascinating that here we have a target individual having this vision outside of the window uh, echo. Yeah. Let me throw down a little bit on this right here. <laughs> so, okay. So first of all, there may be some kind of truth to the allegory in the matrix where the agent can take over certain people. <clears throat> and just I become got a story about that too. After just because <laughs> I, I have had experiences in my life where, like for example, there was a person who was my friend, but I had I had a falling out and problems with them, <clears throat> and uh, I was out at this event at like a music festival, and a drunk person came up to me. I was sober, by the way. I was totally sober, and a drunk person came up to me and like got up in my space, and their face changed into the face of this friend I had fallen out with and got like really close to me, really gave me a really bad vibe. And then he said the catchphrase of that friend. (gasps) (laughs) And then, and then I, and then he just like slunk, slunk off. And it was like, for a moment he like became whatever maybe is writing on the the first guy, you know, maybe it's like some entity that was able to jump between them or something. I don't know, but then there's this idea that uh, there's targeted individuals, gang stalking and all that. And while I'm super skeptical and hesitant to believe that three letter agencies or resources would be spent this way. <laughs> I also like, you know, there's this element of our economy, especially with the federal government where by design and by its nature, because of the constant inflation and infusion of money through the credit uh, and debt system, that there needs to always be more and more money spent and thrown at programs and, and government agencies and and all that for the money to get taken back in, you know, by well, the from what I understand, this dude was like a guinea pig for for some of these experiments and stuff that they, they were just using him to to try and see if this stuff worked. I don't know. And, you know, whether or not that guy's individual case is true or not, the it's it actually might be part vitally important to the economy for <laughs> the economy to survive for like lots of people to be paid to do almost completely pointless stuff like that, <laughs> like harassment and gangsta. Like you wonder who pays for this? Where does how do they have the resources for it? Well, actually, they they have to they're practically needing to burn money to keep the thing flowing, to keep yeah. it all working. And then about just young, like, you know, just like city highway projects. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, young, he also has Philemon. You know, he had a, a higher self type entity spirit that he was in contact with regularly. So there's a lot going on here. Yeah. Going back to the, the walk in inhabitants and the possibility that some spirit or something can just take someone over. There is a theory from a gentleman I had on my show a few times. His name is Trey Hudson. He is a researcher out at with the meadow and the meadow is like a skinwalker ranch location. I think it's in Alabama. He never really gives away the location, but he's a paranormal investigator, former intelligence, and he's out there investigating all the high strange stuff that happens out there. We, he had an experience where 
they were doing some kind of experiments, working on something, and this this woman pulls up in this SUV, steps out, and she's got this nice pantsuit on, dressed very nicely, and she starts asking him some strange questions and saying, oh, I went to college with you, and started telling them information about himself, and asking what they were doing out there. And she, then she started seemingly malfunctioning is what he said. He started saying stuff like, you want to come see my monkey bears? And then she, she walked a few steps away from them, pulled down her underwear and pissed right in front of them, turned around, got in her RV and left and just was gone. But it, it, he thinks it's some kind of men in black type encounter that he, he looked her up later and he got in touch with her and was like, what's, you know, do you remember that experience? Do you remember what we talked about? She's like, I remember pulling up and then I don't remember anything. I don't remember any of the conversation. I don't even remember how I got home that night. And it's his theory that she got this kind of walk-in entity that took over that was going to do the men in black investigation because it was convenient for just to take over somebody and go there and, and do their thing and then take off. But that's such an interesting theory when you think of a lot of those, those strange encounters, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the men in black stuff is, is fascinating. Uh, makes for good, always makes for good stories for sure. <laughs> Yeah, man. Now, like, uh, where, where, where else do we go? Like, what, what is some greatest hits action from Forbidden Knowledge podcast? <laughs> yeah. Oh, let's see. Uh, some of my favorites are Skinwalker Ranch encounters. Oh, I got to tell you one. It's a haunting story from a gentleman named James Keenan. Used to be a police officer. Now he's a paranormal researcher, investigator. And it's probably because of this experience. He was... Uh, he was answering a house call. He was with his partner and it was, a. Um, I, he, he said that it was because of some kind of disturbance in the house. Well, they get to the location and it's a couple and they're terrified downstairs and they're like, it's upstairs, go see. And so they start, he starts walking upstairs. James is in front, his partner's in the back. And he says, when they get to the middle, like halfway up the stairs, they hear voices like screaming and yelling and yelling profanities and just all these awful things. And he goes up a little bit further and the voices get louder. And when he gets to the top of the stairs, he said, there's this wall that they're facing and it's like a wood panel wall, but there were legit faces like coming out of there and yelling and yelling these horrible things and profanities and saying, I hate you. And like, I want a divorce and all these awful, like nasty things. <laughs> and he, they just stared at it for a minute and whoop, it just went back to a wall. And he turns around. He's like, let's go. Let's not even tell anybody about this. So come to find out this couple was having like major domestic issues. They were yelling and arguing all day. So, you know, maybe it manifested this kind of force or energy into the walls. And it was repeating some of the stuff that they, they yell and, and some of the nasty vitriol that they, they spew at each other. So that's one. That's a, that's a pretty interesting one. And another is a skinwalker. Hold on, ranch. real quick. Yeah, yeah. R Rachel in the chat says, "I had some very weird targeted individual activity directed at me during the noughties. Uh -oh. I've never heard of that. That must be like the you know between 2000 2010 <laughs> the noughties. I like <laughs> yeah, that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Fecal matter smeared across my car, up inside my car door handle. 
laptop screen going black all the time and writing files wiped. Mm. Oh, wow. So I, you know, I, I happen to, uh, I think that you're pretty cool and your testimony is trustworthy. So, yeah, you know, know, I, it's hard to really try to like bottle this all up and just know what it is, but I think it all becomes a lot more, I don't know, except not acceptable, but like we can, I can conceive of this or, you know, believe people's at least subjective experiences when we get out of the everything's just pure physicality and into the all is mind perspective that, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe there, maybe there are beings that operate in a different uh, type of body than us that requires a different layer of perceptual bandwidth, you know, range to perceive. And then sometimes maybe we slip into that. I wonder. Yeah, man, I don't know, but there's, this is one of the most profound stories I've heard when it comes to just crazy paranormal manifestations. My friend, Ryan Burns, you might've heard of him. He's a Skinwalker Ranch researcher. He, he has property on Skinwalker Ranch or like on the edge of it. And he's doing research out there. He has several non-disclosure agreements with aerospace companies because they're out there constantly doing experiments. He's working with different people, doing his own experiments. Weird shit, like they got a thing called an Angelamp that mimics the effects of DMT within a certain radius for people that are surrounding it. They've got different frequency things. They've got the God helmet. They've got all kinds of crazy shit that they're working with out there to try and make contact. He sent me a picture of when they're running one of these frequencies, uh, it sent me a picture of it looked like a shit you not a dementor, a huge dementor thing, like from Harry Potter floating above them. It was crazy. But some of the most crazy experiences he's had, and I trust this dude. I mean, he definitely believes it. That's for sure. Uh, he's had experiences where he's seen like a, a coyote come out and then turn into this like tornado of dust or or nanoparticulates and just whirl away. He's also had experiences where one of his friends was attacked by nanoparticulates that formed into a a man or a beast and physically grabbed him and lifted him off the ground. And then he's had experiences with humanoid figures that don't quite look right. Like the creepiest one was him and a couple other researchers out in the street and they were approached by a very tall slender what appeared to be like this man in a security guard outfit but as he got closer things weren't right like it looked like he didn't have a face his arms looked like they kept changing length and it was he looked like he was just kind of just not physical in any way he looked like he was kind of melting and shifting and he would pick up the what he what he was trying to make look like a look like a walkie-talkie and act like he was talking into it but these weird sounds started coming out and he just kept approaching them looking weirder and weirder with these like elongated squid looking arms and he finally just stopped a few feet and they're looking at this thing which is apparently not human at all has no facial features and it slowly just begins to back up and like slither away so crazy shit like that man i don't know what to make of it i do know that he definitely believes it and whether it's like you know like we're talking about maybe this is some military industrial high-tech shit that's that's causing these manifestations i don't know but it's crazy well what i want gabe to riff on something but first, 
I like to also address how this type of stuff can have like a ooh scary <laughs> energy to it. But in my experience and in the experience of a lot of people I respect that have, you know, met the Cthulhu beings <laughs> at different <laughs> times, that there's a certain power that you can leverage where basically, you know, if there are two minds in a space, the one that knows that everything is a part of it will always win out over the one that acts like it's separate. Right. So whatever it is we encounter, whatever, whatever, even if it's like, you know, little grubs and demonic parasites and energy sucking beings or what have you, that in some level, in some capacity, these are all aspects of self. And we have made, it's almost like you can even look at it the way that a bad relationship goes where over time you start putting more and more of your problems on this other person and their behavior irks you more. And you basically make a monster of them in your mind where, <laughs> where it's the exact same type of thing as when you like sort of over idealize somebody, but in the reverse. And eventually, you know, every relationship that ends in a, in a bad way, that's been a long-term one, has some element of this where you've made the other into a monster and projected your projected your problems onto them and made them the source of it. You know, every energy vampire, psychic vampire requires a willing empath <laughs> to play the victim side. So I think that to some degree, maybe these type of entities that get scary, get spooky, get violent, get poltergeisty are us projecting our fears and our problems and our self-recriminations onto some kind of nebulous, mysterious, metaphysical malefactor. But that if we can just, you know, in the moment of the experience, the moment of contact, I think if we flip the script and we're like, I'm not afraid of you because I know that you're me, then you have the ability to command this energy or this entity. And what you can do rather than maybe just straight up banishing it, maybe try asking it questions at that point. <laughs> Cause I think that we respond well. Um, well and then Gabe, it, whenever you have a moment, Gabe, I want you to, to bring into this weave, the like Eleusinian, you know, simulated contact with gods and divines thing that maybe has been part of the mix of human culture to get mass belief and adoption in certain uh, egregores for a long time. Mm -hmm. And like how military, yeah, abduction simulations might play into that or be an offshoot of that. But go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I, I just wanted to say that, get your thoughts on this too. It kind of melts and coincides into everything we're about to get into. But the aspect of occult rituals and manifesting, which seems to be intelligences or spiritual, physical, not physical, but manifestations that multiple people can witness at the same time. He's told me multiple stories that they probably even participate in certain magical practices, occult rituals that, that have a, an effect on our reality, a visual effect. He said that times they've witnessed portals opening and entities coming out like light beings or energetic types of of happenings not sure what they are but he said that he's witnessed things like this with other with a group of other people so if it is you know some sort of part of us it could also work collectively i imagine 
Carrie on Rockfin says, as a quantum hypnosis practitioner, I can tell you that this type of information is coming through in a big way currently. Yes. And then she's referencing something called the Manchurian Project. I don't know about oh, that. Man. There's so much going on at once. For one, I wish I could pay more attention to all the comments because the comments are really on fire right now. They always are. Uh, they are. This is a great, this is going to be a good show. Uh, so uh, this idea of <clears throat> that these experiences, they are, I think of it as unpacking a a huge amount of accumulated information all in one moment. And I think that is a kind of the, a, a brief outline of what I'm about to say in a, a thousand different ways, but it's like you have, we all, it's traumatic to fucking be here. And along the way we pick up what uh, some might call like emotional debt or psychic debt. And that is basically to say, like, you get into, you have an experience, you're like, I can't, I can't even fucking deal with that. I'm going to put that away. I'll deal with it later. Maybe what tonight. What you're saying I, is super accurate. And then, like, I call it the backlog. Yes. <laughs> you build up a, a backlog of unprocessed emotions. And uh, to just, like, cap this addition to your thought, uh, most important, I think, a realization I've had recently, knowing what your trauma is, is not what heals it knowing how figuring out how the trauma affected your behavior and the patterns that arose in your life as, and that you expected to keep coming because of that trauma. If you can see how it affected your behavior and affected the rippling repeating scenarios that may seem unrelated, but they are actually the same thing. Then you feel the trauma. You got to see the pattern, the weave of it, and how it affected your behavior. That's the actual processing. You don't have to refeel the pain. You don't have to refeel the emotion. You don't even necessarily have to like go tell the person who hurt your feelings. They hurt your feelings. You just need to see how it affected your behavior. And that's how you undo the backlog. Right. In my opinion, you know, yeah. professionally. Yeah. You know, uh, what is she got? Uh, the ancient one, the ancient one, T-A-O, Tao. Her advice uh, to... Uh, Mordo, uh, he said, you help me defeat my demons to become a greater hero. And she's like, no, 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 bro. You got it messed up. We never defeat our demons. We merely learn to live above them. And that's kind of what we're talking about. Like, uh, so yeah, you, you accumulate this debt, this backlog, and then you, and then ideally you put yourself in a choice ritualistic space so that you can process all of that debt. But some people come at it like I did in college, all snoochy boochies. And you're like, yeah, pop me, pop me an eighth of mushrooms on my first go. And you are not ready to deal. You don't have the sacred ritualistic space. You go into a party and everybody's a fucking 1000 eyeball, the monster staring right into your soul, you know? Um, but then this is another thing I want to say that's important about that is that even if we do come into it with that, uh, that mindfulness and that intention of, of purification, uh, you know, the idea that I'm going to take this bath and go through this, this cleansing, uh, I just want to remind everybody that it's ever so important to close off ritual with as much reverence as you entered into it. In fact, mm -hmm. you, it, should, it should probably be a little bit poetic. You know, the beginning should rhyme with the end. 
Dude, what you're saying is so true. (laughs) As soon as I started bringing that into my my work with clients, it's like that is the possibly the moment of highest heightened inspiration is the closing moment. Something like comes through, and it's always so beautiful and profound, and it does feel super important. I'm glad you said that. We should remind people of that all the time. Thank you, Carrie, for giving us that wisdom the other day, uh, a few weeks back. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, these uh, and then. I I also believe that Eleusinian rituals, the you know the Pythagorean, maybe not Pythagoreans, but these certain cults have certain rites that are designed for a person to process these things in a controlled you know in a controlled environment, uh, and uh, in to whatever degree. I mean, think about it. They didn't have psychology. They didn't have psychologists. They didn't have a couch. They didn't have a profession. They had these initiatory rituals. Uh, so yeah, I just kind of think they, oh, and then one last thing is, uh, while I'm talking about, we carry baggage of our own individually, there is even another layer to that. And that is the ancestral baggage, people we never have even met that were long gone before we got here. But then there's even your, you know, your, your own folks, they probably have some kind of baggage that was handed off to you, unspoken, unacknowledged, uh, unrecorded, unseen. And then that'll come up in your, in your, uh, in your vision quest as well. Oh, yeah, I agree. I've had plenty of experiences where it was seemingly healing past life traumas. I've gone through, uh, therapeutic sessions with people that do, uh, it's not necessarily past life regressions, but they were using certain techniques and, and frequencies to elicit the the healing process from those memories and not necessarily reliving them but it was a very interesting experience so i completely understand that and uh, i think that that does have a lot to do with our life experience and where we choose to go and how and if we choose to heal those and face those or not what our life will be like at yeah man isn't it fascinating how if you're like more into the spiritual woo-woo camp, you can call it reincarnation. Everybody agrees how that works. But if you're in this scientific other paradigm, you just call it DNA and it's the same thing. It still <laughs> works. You could say, Oh, in my past, in my past lives. Well, then the other camp, they would prefer that you say my ancestors experienced this because your ancestors are you as well. We can agree that we are carrying our ancestors whether it's on the woo side or the science side, it still works out. I, uh, I had this, what you're saying is awesome. It's all, it's just different languages for the same thing. I had, I was at the gym today and there's a couple trainers there that I see pretty much every time I go, they're there every day. And I go every day. And this one guy, good guy, you know, seems like a good guy, but he's always bitching to his clients about, problems with his family members and he i also hear him talking to the other trainers i can't help but overhear it because i don't like to have headphones in while i'm working out i just want to be just me but uh unfortunately that means i'm exposed to a lot of terrible music in the gym but (laughs) uh i hear this same guy who's complaining about family members a lot and that he's always like in this conversation with another one of the trainers about how do I get my diet right? My digestion's all messed up. I don't, I'm, I'm having all these problems with my gut. 
And today this, I heard this conversation come up again. And then he mentions he's going to go get like tested for food allergies or some stupid shit. And I was at this point, I was finally like, all right, all right, I got to interject because, and then that meant I needed to unload like my best elevator pitch of like, you know, your energy field is a thing and uh, yada, yada, (laughs) you know, your digestive problems are a, a manifestation of your undigested frustration and resentment. This is all sacral level stuff. And this spiraled into like a 45 minute conversation between me, him and trainer number three or trainer number two. And where I, you know, I'm bringing the energy field side, the biofield knowledge side, the sort of chi subtle energy thing. And then uh, the guy we're trying to help is like in between us. And then the other trainer, he's, coming at it from like the very physical nuts and bolts side (laughs) and we're both talking about the same thing and i had to like try to bridge that and be like look you're talking about getting i'm talking about manifesting the feeling of satisfaction in your body through gratitude practices to balance out the polarity of frustration and resentment and allow your gut to actually do its job and you're talking about meditating getting the activating the parasympathetic nervous system you know, all the benefits that come with that. We're saying the same thing. <laughs> you know, I'm talking about energy field stuff. You're talking about genetics and epigenetics. We're saying the same thing. And uh, it was just cool to have a moment where some, you know, people that are not into the the deep woo, but like all the components were there in the conversation to be like, look, there's a simpler way to comprehend how your physical form works without the need for all of this, the science trademark jargon. You know, it's actually very simple. And um, and in terms of the ancestral trauma thing, my, the last client I worked with, we were dealing just with what she didn't realize were influences more from her parents' parents than from her parents, you know. And it was a lot of blocked stuff in the root chakra from that. And as we cleared it, she started getting like really hot. <laughs> <laughs> like she felt like someone had turned the temperature up 15 or 20 degrees in her, uh, in her room. And, and uh, then it started getting really sore. And I was like, it's been sore the whole time. You've just been filtering it out. Now we're in the healing process, but you know, so there can sometimes be, my point in saying this is that sometimes the energy inherited from a generation back is so strong that the reaction to healing that or moving that and processing that can be more intense and physically noticeable, like in the sense that she was getting really hot, then, um, you know, a lot of client work I do where we're just dealing with stuff from this life or from her, their current parents. So there's definitely something to the ancestral element of all this. And I think that the same goes for um, entity contact, aliens, fairies, what have you, that it often runs in the family. To, to encounter certain kind of beings. And maybe there's even spirits of the land, you know, that's of certain of, of actual geographic locations. And maybe part of why this is all so new to us or feels so foreign to us is because it, at large, most people are living in a region where their ancestors got there via diaspora, that that's not their homeland, you know, like, or, or, or something. It's just a thought. Yeah, man. I wanted to speak to the gratitude aspect for a minute. I found once I started to realize that gratitude was a huge 
driving factor in in propelling myself and my my spiritual goals and where I wanted to be that to be grateful for everything was like a booster and it it made it made everything come together. It seemed like the universe responded to to gratitude in a major way. I'd, you know, start singing songs, thank you, thank you all day, just making up different songs. And it was like there was this quickening of, of great manifestation in my life of these these wonderful things that started to happen. The more grateful I was for everything previous and everything that's happened in my life. So every day, man, I try to just... I try not to bitch about anything. I try to realize how wonderful everything is and be just thankful for every moment. And the more I put that out in the universe, the more the universe thanks me back and just gives me a little uh, nudge in the right direction, you know? So uh, I wanted to mention uh, the Collins family, like uh, Chance was mentioning that certain bloodlines are probably a little more, uh, get a little more attention for probably very good reasons. The family, uh, Collins family, uh, they were targeted from different, uh, branches during the Salem witch trials. And so, um, and for different reasons, but this, but they are related, these, uh, different witches in different locations. Um, and today the Collins family elite is calling things on a major level. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that a lot of people who can track themselves back to the Salem witch trials are experiencing a just a, a fascinating karmic result of that sanguinity. We'll just put it that way. There's probably a lot to flush out of that. But you live right. You're just north of Fort Collins, right? In Colorado. Mm-hmm. I've often even the state of Colorado has like the Collins family logo on there. And there's a thread going all the way back to Columbus, I think, mm. uh, in the Colognes. Uh, but I just wanted to ask you, Chris, are you going to go up to the uh, Skinwalker Ranch? Have you thought about I have the your- trip set up already. This is going to be uh, the next part of my docu-series. The first oh. part, uh, season one, is paranormal Louisiana, occult Louisiana, which is where I'm from. I went to Louisiana and did a bunch of interviews and filming and that one should be coming out in July, but it's going to be an ongoing docu-series. The next location I'm going to is Utah, Utah Basin in New Mexico to get the paranormal aspects of Skinwalker Ranch, UFOs, all that stuff. But I have uh, my friend Ryan Burns. I'll be staying with him and Hopefully we'll uh, check it out and see what happens while I'm out there. But I'm excited, man. I've always uh, wanted to go for a long time and check that stuff out and see if I could experience anything myself. And uh, we'll see what happens. But, yeah, I'm definitely going out there. So the docuseries is about Skinwalker or you're just starting there? the, The docuseries is going to be an ongoing series about different locations in the United States that have paranormal or occult history or interesting conspiratorial history or just high strange aspects to it. I'm going to try to go to as many states as possible. And I started out with Louisiana and I just, I, a couple of months ago, I went down there, started filming, did a bunch of interviews, had some incredible experiences and met with some incredible experiencers of high strange phenomena and interviewed them and, you know, tour guides and people in New Orleans and got a little bit that the the whole 
docuseries is going to cover everything from pirate history, the native mound builders, voodoo, the modern paranormal history, the dark history of slavery and plantations, all the way up into what modern experiencers are experiencing with hauntings and some of the insane cryptid encounters that people have with Bigfoot and Dogman around there. And that's going to be like the highlight of that first episode. And then the second one, we have planned to go out to Skinwalker Ranch and we'll see what we get there. Oh man, Bigfoot and Dogman. All right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> Dude, if so you, okay, let there. me tell you, let me, let, if you got time, let me tell you, let me, let's end on a, with a bang for a, a we Bigfoot got time. and Dogman. All right. Bigfoot and Dogman experience. The, one of the main experiencers, my, uh, that's, uh, that I'm putting in the documentary, his name is Scott Pace. He's just your regular good old boy from Louisiana. He likes hunting, he likes fishing, and he loves Jesus. And he's a very spiritual church-going man, doesn't want anything from anybody, not looking for attention, and never experienced anything out of the ordinary until last year he's hunting. He's in a deer stand, and he's looking out his rifle. And I've interviewed this man several times, the nicest, sweetest man. I don't see him lying about anything. He definitely believes his experiences, again, looking through the the scope of a rifle and he sees what he describes as the biggest hairiest man he's ever seen covered in black hair and matted hair. And he said he's at least seven or eight foot tall walking towards him. And he, he, something tells him to pan the, the rifle over. He pans it to the right and he sees, I should you not what he only describes as a werewolf man standing there in kind of a, a very um, menacing position. And then all of a sudden he hears in his head a, a voice saying, I'm going to, you better put that gun down or I'm going to come up there and tear you apart. And then he hears a distinct other voice say, no, he's not going to do anything. He's just looking at us. Don't do that. And he's freaking out. He doesn't know what to do. So he tries to communicate with whatever these things are in his mind. He's like, I'm not going to hurt anybody. I was just looking, I'm going to leave. And He's terrified. He runs out the deer stand and he looks back and he says there's about two or three other creatures that are following him out. Humanoid creatures, very tall, hairy creatures following out of the, him out of the swamp area. Well, after that, he, for some reason, got cracked open. <laughs> he started having experiences where he would wake up in the night and he would hear footsteps in his house. He'd look out his window and he'd see what he describes as a Sasquatch looking in his window. And he started to become very curious about this. And he started to go out and he was he, being the religious man that he was. He'd bring his Bible and he'd start quoting his Bible verse out in the swamp. And he eventually started he said he started having communication, like psychic communication from some of these beings. And they would peek. He said he could see them peeking behind the trees and he'd see eye shine. And he eventually started seeing different types of beings, what he calls little forest people. There are like three or four foot tall beings that are covered in black hair that he said have like kaleidoscope spinning eyes that the eye shine you can see from these things at night look like kaleidoscopes and they're spinning around and they look creepy as hell and they poke out their heads out from the trees and he has one particular Bigfoot that he supposedly formed this psychic relationship that he calls Stevie Wonder because every time he sees him the Bigfoot is a 
apparently doing like this and peeking behind the trees. And he sings Bible verses to them. He communicates with them. And he said they respond very well to the Bible, that they enjoy them and they talk with him psychically. And eventually these experiences turned into extraterrestrial experiences for this poor dude. He doesn't know what's going on. He says he'd start having missing time and he'd wake up the next day and have memories of being escorted through dark underground catacombs with gray extraterrestrials and mantis beings. So this is an ongoing thing. I keep interviewing him because he's had, he has these ongoing experiences now with Bigfoot dog, man, and apparently extraterrestrial beings. But they, start- will they let him bring a friend? Maybe well, you can go to the a, doc. He's had a few uh, people with him. He started to d- put notes up on Facebook. He formed Facebook groups to to find people who are having these same experiences around him. And he did. He started to go out with posses and they've had group experiences. One of the most profound was they said a Bigfoot tried to reach in his truck and steal his cell phone out of his hand. And he had to slap the hand of the Bigfoot and it just kind of took off and walked away. Another experience said he's sitting with. Imagine his- slapping the hand of a eight foot tall hairy man. <laughs> you see, Next time you talk to him, ask him if it's true that they love peanut butter. Peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> I'll ask him. I'll ask him. But I've he heard said Bigfoot this, uh, loves peanut butter. Yeah, maybe so. But he was sitting with his friends and he said, this was the craziest thing that happened to him. This isn't a Bigfoot, but he said a beam of light just kind of seemingly came down from the sky and opened up a portal. And these three translucent seven or eight foot tall beings casually walked out of the portal and in front of the truck. And there was three or four witnesses, he says to this. And I interviewed the other people. They all have the correlating stories. And the the beings just walked down a hill out of their line of sight. And these things are just kind of regularly occurring for this dude now. So. Like I said, I know he definitely believes it. I know the other witnesses I've talked to, they seemingly believe that I don't think any of them are lying. None of them are trying to go out on talk shows and get famous and tell their stories. None of them care unless you ask them. None of them are talking about it unless you ask them about it. So, and these are, you know, people in Louisiana I grew up with, they're very down to earth. They, they're not looking for attention. And these are just your seemingly regular normal folks having some pretty crazy experiences. So that's pretty uh pretty interesting stuff going on there. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a really good one. I like how it's a progression. You know yeah. how he's like it's like a perfect progression because he starts off as like a, a conservative skeptic Christian on his own. He's even alone hunting. Well, he has, for he has a girlfriend, but he yeah, but it, yeah. So he's usually alone when he's when it started for him. Yeah, so he has like like all the a sense of independence in the beginning. And then something kind of pulls him out of his own shell and he's like, okay, maybe I should talk back and read, you know, read some gospel. And then he gets this feedback, but then the experience expands even more to like, okay, now I'm going to bring friends and community into this. And then that expands it. And, it, and then eventually it even becomes mantids and grays. Mm-hmm. There's like this evolution. That and he, he had never heard of mantid beings before. Like he he claims he didn't know what that was before he started having experience. He's heard of like gray extraterrestrials, but he didn't know they had insect yeah. extraterrestrials until he encountered it in his experience, which is pretty interesting. Wow. Okay. Well, oh man, there is so much on the table all at once. Um, okay. So 
I, I just want to uh, mention a lot of the initiatory symbols. Remember us talking about the one and the two, the 12? That's a foot. Big foot is a one, two. We're talking about feet, the first initiation, the first step across the threshold. You know, you're entering into a new experience. Um, also, the dog is uh, on the fool card. Fool card is the beginning, the initiation. It's the beginning of a hero, the fool's journey. Um, Skinwalker has always, to me, whispered, um, well, for one, uh, it's a fool card also. Uh, the fool card is Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalker is looking off at two suns on the, on the skyline. One is the zero on the fool card, and the other sun is the sun behind him. So the fool card, it has a dog by his side. So Skinwalker, Skywalker, fool card, all things initiatory are being brought up into the, onto the table here. And skin in the game is circumcision. It is the placenta that's removed when you're born. It's also ante up. You got to ante up if you want to get in the game, you mm -hmm. know? Um, so there's so many things that are initiatory. Uh, uh, but even Bigfoot has the J to the B, the Joachim and the Boaz, the two pillars at the mm -hmm. temple that, as you in, initiate, as you come in. Um, uh, there was one more thing, but I'm forgetting what it was. Oh, the Mantis. Okay, I want to say this. The Mantis, she allegedly, like one of the common things, and then like you said, he didn't know about what a Mantis was, but his account is going to comport to other people's reports of the mantid you know it's like there are these real subtle details that people will bring to bear that they're not into this stuff and when they start to uh course correlate to their experience to other people's who they've never even talked to that's when things get interesting but like did he by chance mention the voice box of the mantid no i, I don't think so what he did mention is during these experiences, he can't remember much. They're, they're kind of choppy, hazy memories, but it's, he said, it seems like for some reason, he doesn't know why, but it seems like they're teaching him things or giving him some kind of knowledge that he didn't have before. And I, there's something interesting about this man is when I first met him and started interviewing him almost a year ago, he seemed like a different person. He didn't, I'm not, I don't want to say he's more intelligent now, but he seems to have like a very broadened perspective of reality now that it, it very seems to come on very quickly. And it's very interesting. It does seem like in a way he may have been downloaded with certain information because he's not only become super interested in all this stuff, but he he's absorbing all this information. And at times he says he, will know just know something about these creatures that hasn't talked to anybody but he'll go look up in a book and be like i knew that already you know i've already known this is so it's very yeah. inter interesting the possibilities of is this you know consciousness upgrading itself is it are these beings physical hominids that can that are like forest sorcerers that know how to manipulate consciousness or our perception i don't know right Man, uh, I want to throw something into the mix here. <laughs> Before we get too far from the uh, from the mantid, I want to mention okay, that uh, the, the mantid, she has some sort of charm under her neck. Some people say it's a, a song or a rever reverberation or a light and that it hypnotizes people and that they 
they, uh, because her appearance would be shocking, but there's something that they can't look away because of this thing under her neck. Well, I've been finding this uh, a pattern in esoterica around the Hakate, the priestess of Hakate. She will wear a beard, an ornamental beard under her chin. And it's not, it's not like she's trying to convince you she's a man. She's totally a woman. There's even straps connected to the beard. But this pattern is coming up in art in very unlikely places. I'm finding it uh, like uh, pictures of Aphrodite coming out of the seashell. There's this strange shadow being cast around the throat chakra of this goddess figure. Um, and I just wanted to maybe uh, insinuate for, for people this that, was what was open in my other window. This is no. TK or Tish. <laughs> this is the goddess of fortune, uh, you know, of an Aphrodite type. And yeah. look at her throat. What you know, the this heck? Is, this is Mahreya. This is the god or the goddess of heaven. You know, the yeah. heavenly mother. She's got the fortress on her head. Anyway, <laughs> just this old ass uh, sculpture yeah. of, and there's something yeah. weird going on with the throat. It's almost like where she's holding the shaft of wheat. She's pointing at her throat, oh, and look, look totally what she's standing weird. on. Look what she's standing and, on. And the wheat is golden, so this light from the mantid is reported to be a golden light, like a really alluring golden light. Uh, Chris, did he mention that it was a female mantid? He did not say if it was a female. See, that's that's one of it was definitely an insectoid being that looked like a praying mantis. That's what he described it as. He said it was wearing a robe. A robe, though. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. That's one of the things that always gets me too. Is like people will give their uh, give their accounts, and they don't even realize that there's this uniformity of this of a feminine mantid being. Mm -hmm. That the mantid being is generally. Uh, feminine, which is uh, very profound because we know that the female mantid eats the head of the mate, mm. you know, so it kind of insinuates that cannibalistic element. All right. So yeah, what, what, it's interesting. I want to put a little question to Chris as maybe like the final question. So I have a theory about this reality, if you will, that there's no such thing as extinction. You know, I'm, I'm a big Tolkien guy, first of all, and he seems to write with the assumption that little people, elves, dwarves, etc., hobbits, that kind of thing, that those all did exist at some point in our history. And we also see a shrinking of the biosphere in at least what we can perceive of it as our lifetimes have gone on. In a lot of places, you see less animals, less biomass. My example would be when I used to, when I went to college, I lived three hours away from uh, my hometown. And when I would drive back and forth back then, my windshield would always be covered with splattered bugs. And now if I take that same road, no bugs, <laughs> you know, my windshield's clean. I'd have to, I'd have to wash the windshield a couple of times on that trip when I was at college age. So just in a few short years, like the mass, the amount of mass of biological material, living beings has is, is shrunk. But I wonder, because I, I know people who work with orgone devices, they do gift, they, what they call gifting to change the frequency coherence of things like the cell towers, combating the ability for the spraying over our heads to actually create the haze that blocks the light. And, you know, 
disrupting the frequency lattice or the frequency fence that has been put in place by some of this technology that is supposedly to power our our wireless communications. But what I think you know may be going on because of what they witnessed in places like Arizona where they've done a ton of this gifting to change the weather even you know they've they've brought about monsoon seasons by disrupting all these towers <laughs> and like it's a deep rabbit hole there actually you might want to talk to uh, Mitch the Oregon donor about that because he's really done fascinating work but in the process of changing the weather in, in Arizona in just a couple of years they're seeing uh, they're seeing certain kinds of animals return that they thought were gone or didn't exist. Like one in particular is the triops, which is like this weird little sand shrimp thing, this strange little crustacean bug that was like extinct, but now it's just popping up again or big cats coming down and into the environment again uh, that were thought to be gone. And Mm. my, my point with this is just that, you know, what if part of this technological expansion we've gone through with all the frequency soup that we're sitting in through it is actually in a way you know it's affecting our mind because we're constantly being reminded and reinforced of fear war death famine extinction environmental crisis always being hammered in through the glow box (laughs) portal but then on the other hand maybe there's actually a frequency element where it's putting us in a frequency range or a bandwidth range that is narrowed. Cause I think like how I see the, the expansion force and the contraction force, love and fear in the, in the world is that love has to do with more potential. You know, whoever you love, you want them to be able to choose for themselves, whatever they want with no restriction. And as long as it's good. And when you're afraid, what you're, when you're afraid, you tend to narrow down the list of possibilities of what you think would be okay down to just a few or down to just one. You know, if you're super afraid, you're like, if it, if it, if this doesn't happen, everything's over, it's gotta be this one way. So I think maybe with these cryptids with, you know, Bigfoots, et cetera, (laughs) maybe even some of these beings that we would consider or categorize as aliens or fairies that humanity at a certain point was less restricted in the bandwidth of frequency possibility that they could exist in and that we've narrowed it down. And that if we can get back into a widened scope of perception, that a lot of this stuff that we thought never existed is mythological or has gone extinct would actually start to just repopulate our environment as we gained the range to perceive it and went further into love and out of fear. But part of it would have to be that we're like willing to accept their existence. Otherwise, they still they just got to skirt around the fringes of our consciousness until we accept that they're like allowed to be here with us. I think that's kind of happening now with people's awareness broadening and people becoming more aware of what's right in in front of them and some of the things that are happening in their reality that they weren't aware of and this whole conscious awakening that seems to be happening on a a global scale but i think it also is the the technology we're just mentioning this 5g and these this frequency suit that we're surrounded in is probably blocking a lot of our consciousness abilities our abilities to perceive some of these things and i've even heard Stories of, I think it's the Inuit elders saying that they they can't 
do astral projection anymore because some of these frequencies are so, so powerful that they can't reach certain states during meditation. It makes me also wonder how much this is affecting our, our spiritual development and where we could be if we weren't constantly surrounded with these and bombarded with these frequencies, what we could possibly be capable of, what we could be witnessing right now. I'm sure it was, it would be a completely different reality than what we have now. And we have no idea what we, what life was even like 50, a hundred years ago. So it, may have even been dramatically different. Our perceptions may, maybe the world just seemed a little brighter before, or we would notice more things before they had these advancements in technologies and frequencies surrounding us all the time. So I think that's probably a huge factor in what we can perceive and what we can't. And also awareness and probably belief is a huge factor as well. Oh man. So we got to let you go soon. Me and slick might, you know, hang around a little bit with the people. <laughs> We're having fun, but uh, buddy, is there any closing thoughts you want to leave people with? Uh, and then after that, can you remind everyone all the ways that they can get more of your excellent work, steady, consistent, just getting it done podcasting gold over there. Oh, thank you, man. And thank you guys for having me. This was excellent. Uh, I'd, I'd love to have you both back on my show again. So we're going to do that. Uh, just want yeah, let's do our Marvel stuff with you. Me and Gabe have a whole thing where we, uh, we talk about the symbolic stuff in Marvel that in like, you know, tarot being used to program the collective consciousness in ways that is not perceived by the regular people. We'll talk about it offline, but like we yeah. have a lot of me and him can do some combo stuff yeah. together. We were good. You know right what? On. Yeah. While we're on it, Chance, I just learned that uh Anteros, the twin of Air of Eros, his twin, one of his epithets is the Avenger. <laughs> all nice. along it's like he's the original uh, you know he would he would be the original he uh then that's kind of important yeah just wanted to throw that, that to bring us full circle nice yeah i just want to i want to thank you guys i want to thank the audience for being here and thank everyone on this planet that's awakening right now and perpetuating this beautiful path that I believe we're headed on. And I think we're going to have a, a really wonderful future and this awakening is unstoppable. So thank you all. And uh, you can find me on every po all podcast platforms. Our website is forbiddenknowledge.news. That is also the Forbidden Knowledge Network. We feature other podcasts, similar podcasts from our community. We have about 10 shows that we feature on there. We're also on Rockfin. We're on Rumble and Odyssey. And if you would like to help us finish this at least first episode of the docu-series, which is set to come out in July. If you'd like to help with a donation, anything is greatly appreciated. We have an easy way that you can do that. You can go to supportfkn.com. That would be amazing. And I think that is it. So go chow. And we got to YouTube where we just put some clips, some safe clips up and that's about it. So thank you guys. Thank you, man. It's definitely been fun. We'll have to keep this collaboration train going. I'm sure we oh, have. Yeah, this was fun. A lot in store. Cool, man. All right. Well, you take care, buddy. Much love. Take it easy. Good to meet you, Chris. 
<laughs> all right. So first of all, uh, I want to just thank the generous super chatters over on Rockfin. Laura Ramsey tipped $10 and Logan Cook, $5. Logan's always tipping. Great dude. Matt Emery, $20. Thank you all so much. Really appreciate that. Feel free. Anybody else that wants to super chat, it is it all, you know, <laughs> like Chris was saying at the beginning of the show, uh, this pays my rent, except it's mortgage. This pays my mortgage. This pays for me to eat. You know, like if you want to do that. I appreciate it. But also I'm fully in trust and faith that whatever needs to come to me will. That was something that kind of got left on, you know, left in the dust as we just progress forward rapidly into all the fringe. But that at the beginning of this talk, if you weren't here, Chris gave an excellent testimony about the power of Jumping off that cliff, the leap of faith into the wild unknown, doing what you know you're here to do, ditching everything that makes your soul cry, and that what you need will show up when you need it, even if you like, even if it seems like no way that's going to work out, but I'm just going to go for it. <laughs> Man, all that, all that business with him contacting some kind of like mediator to the source in the bathtub meditating, that was some pretty wild. That's some pretty wild and cool stuff right there. Uh, I love people's stories like that. The higher self. Yeah. Philemon. That was so cool. And, you know, I was straight up like every Wednesday, like clockwork, it never fails. I was on a Philip K. Dick kick this morning. And here he is talking about getting the uploads. You know what I mean? I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, I think uh, Rising from the Ashes crew is gonna everybody is planning to read the philip k dick trilogy which for me that's going to take uh uh it's gonna take me a while to catch up uh, i'm i'm at zero i've read none of it but uh but just this right now, I'm I'm still reading anacalypsis i read about uh two to three pages a day because for every paragraph I read, I have to write about half a page of notes and chase down leads. And, you know, <laughs> my new rule with reading is like, if I learn something new, I have to take note of it in an organized fashion. And uh, with Anacalypsis, practically everything I read is learning something new. So <laughs> I don't have time for other books right now. Yeah, man. How's your journaling coming along? Um, your, your I'm notebook. no longer journaling. I did a lot of journaling last year and that okay. was a great habit, but uh, the steam for that has kind of fallen off, but you know, other, I'm definitely uh, an initiator of new things and I like to do that rapidly. So yeah. right now, I speak Greek. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a lot of fun with that. I should have told Chris, uh, uh, how do I say it? Heropoli. Uh, that means nice to meet you, Heropoli. <laughs> but I already met him, so I guess that doesn't work. Anyway, <laughs> I'm uh, plugging away at the daily Greek lessons, and that's going well. That's how I found out that Nero means water, which yeah, is man. so interesting because Nero is the the seculum, the the proto protogonos, the firstborn of the first cause. So if everyone out there wants to know how to say, I would like to drink some water. Let me see. You say, Thaithala nepio ligo nero. Thaithala nepio ligo nero. That's, I would like to drink some water. (laughs) So, you know, I'm learning some stuff. I'm getting there. That's awesome. 
Yeah, man. The what is it? The path is straight and narrow. Narrow. <laughs> Whoa! I hadn't even thought of that weave. Yo, right, right. And good. it's like, like and you know, of, there's also sometimes that you see N and M get mixed up. Uh, I don't have any specific receipts on that, but you know, when you hear Nero, it makes one wonder. Meru, Meru, Mount Meru, Nero. I think all that is definitely in the mix. I mean, anytime when you get that phonetic Eru, Eru, there's something there for sure. Yeah. Uh, so, like you were talking about uh, coming through a like a reset or some sort of filter, you know, uh, that metaphor of the path is straight and narrow. It's almost like it's almost like saying that. Um, for one, it makes me think of fjording. When you fjord across a river, there's only a select part of that stream that is safe, you know. And some people if they come in too broad of a swath of like a migrant, uh, whatever body, then some people are going to get swept, swept away because they didn't stay along the narrows, you know? So it's so fascinating how these metaphors are true on so many levels, but you kind of have to take yourself back in the technology to, you know, before we had bridges, (laughs) you know? Uh, And even the, I wrote that down when you said it, you know, uh, makes me think of crossing the Rubicon. The Rubicon was a river that Caesar allegedly crossed and that that event has taken place uh, metaphorically in individuals lives. And it's also been recreated in battles, you know, uh, uh, George Washington crossing the the Delaware. Yep. So, yeah, we've crossed the Rubicon in so many ways, so many times. I found us a call-in from Cucumber. Hey, all right. What's up, Cucumber? Let me hold on just a second. Let me make sure I got the version of it I want. I had to turn up the the volume a little bit. And... All right. This is the one. Cool. So we're going to hear from him. It's a little over a minute. Love getting some call-ins on the voicemail line. Appreciate that. Anybody else wants to? I'm looking at you, polymathing. I would love to get a call-in. All right, here we go. <laughs> hey, uh, so I don't know why I'm bringing this up, but in high school, I indulged in a research chemical called 2,5-I is how my friend would tell me about the name. That's how you would say it. Um uh, one of our other other friends tried, um, I don't know how many tabs of it, and he had uh, seen a 10-foot gnome in his bathroom somehow. And what else? Um, I remember my imagination feeling real. Like, I couldn't shake like a a daydream. And I would just go into it like a regular dream. Uh, I don't know even well, we got our hands on it through a friend who got it off I guess the deep web, whatever that was back in two thousand um twelve. So yeah, I just wanted to share that about information feeling too real. But like uh the whole thing was we didn't see each other's um images. It was a, a personal trip, I don't think we could see what the other person sees. 
Hey, uh, so I don't know why I'm bringing this up, but in high school. Oh, sorry. It's on a loop. (laughs) Yeah, man, those research chemicals are a whole nother level. You know, I once heard a theory. I mean, I don't know that I've ever taken a research chemical, but (laughs) that's the thing about playing around with things that are illegal is that uh, if anybody, you know, I guess someone out there may need to hear this, but they there are such a thing as test kits where you can test what you have and verify that it is what you were told it was. And if you're going to deal with anything in that realm, you really do want to have a test kit and know how to use it. Luckily, they're not that hard to use. It's kind of fun. You feel like you're doing chemistry, but that's uh, that's a fact because you might think you're getting one thing and it is one of these research chemicals, which but anyway, I've heard theories before that each of these compounds that has this psychoactive effect has its own domain in the collective psyche. And that maybe some of the less explored domains have less furniture in that particular spiritual lodge or temple. Like people in the early days of experimenting with ketamine would describe going into a void, into a a very vacuous space, like a a giant tower of office offices with no furniture in it, metaphorically speaking. Whereas when you go into the psilocybin space, it's very populated. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people there, a lot of beings there. So I wonder. Uh, Dylan says the only reason I don't dismiss things on a, in theogens is pure imagination, is because some of the visuals are shapes I've never seen in this world. Nothing to compare to. That's a really good point. And then, you know, I've had my own experiences on entheogens where I was shown something that was going to happen in the future. And then it happened and I saw exactly, I knew it was coming. I knew like, oh, the moment's coming up. And then here it is and it happened just like I saw it before. So all of reality gets really slippery <laughs> in those realms. Uh, Gabe, what do you think? Well, I seem to recall, I think it was on Crow where Dylan mentioned coming across the echidna specifically, which, I mean, he probably knows that that thing's been haunting me ever since I learned about it. I mean, it really, I mean, I have quite a few supernatural beings that I am aware of, and some of them have found me very proactively. And when Dylan mentioned that he came across the echidna, I was like, bro, we need to talk. You need to sketch this thing out. Show me, (laughs) show me what she looked like. But how apropos for our brother from his Italian roots to have come across such a being, you know, that's very, I don't know. That may not be what he's talking about here, but I do remember him mentioning the echidna and man, that thing is, that's the real deal, man. And it's, you know, it's also um, under the Vatican, you know, it's the namesake of the Vatican is the Vatica. And he said, yes, sir. I referenced her in book one is the mother of monsters. Yes. I hate to burst your bubble on this. I'm not trying to be contrarian. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I searched, you know, to the best of my ability and it's possible that this has just been concealed. I mean, we are talking about the greatest concealers and forgers possibly of all time, Vatican, <laughs> but I could not find any receipts on Vatica being in any place of known or at least publicly available Etruscan artifacts with inscriptions having the phrase Vatica on it. So I don't know um, 
you know, <laughs> this is the thing, you know, I wanted to actually bring this topic up with Chris mm-hmm. earlier today. I thought of it, but uh, there's this really, I'm not blaming you for this. We all do it. We all share podcast bro knowledge, like, you know, without necessarily having the backup on it. It's just mm-hmm. part of the culture. It's part of human nature. We We just talk, we share what we've heard, but you know, there's a, like when I looked into this Vatica, looking for the inscription, looking for the physical artifact, looking for where does this come from? Mm. It seems like it originated with somebody's blog post where they made this claim. And then that blog post was referenced by somebody else. And then that's referenced by other people. And it just starts doing the rounds. And right. so it's a lot like, like I had a client the other day. And if you're listening, I'm not, I'm not upset with you. I'm not throwing any shade or anything, but you know, we, we started talking at the beginning of the session and he's talking about his awakening journey and he's like list rattling off various like conspiratorial knowledges that he's hip to. And he's like, I know this, I know that I know birds aren't real. And I'm like, hold up, hold up. Birds are real, dude. <laughs> and I, but we didn't dispute the point, but it seemed like he really thought birds aren't real. But if you just take a moment to look into that one, for example, the people or the guy who came made up birds aren't real, very openly talks about how it's birds aren't real. Isn't real. It's like a critique (laughs) on conspiracy culture. And it's a valid critique because people like, will see the birds aren't real joke memes and such. And they will be like, Oh, well, I'm conditioned to know, like think everything coming from uh, authority. It's actually opposite days. So, you know, if, if, the science trademark tells me birds are real, then I don't think birds are real. So my point being, (laughs) this is a big aspect of all of the fringe stuff that we talked about with Chris tonight, that how much of it is, is it real or is it, are we playing the game of parroting and repeating? So like the healthy dose of skepticism is great, but at the other hand, you know, are we better off to have opened imaginations and to allow ourselves wider range of possibilities? I think so. You know, the ban of entheogens, the restriction on the ability to move from place to place. That's been, you know, the feudal system for a long time. There is something to be said about narrowing people's experience of reality. I mean, I've referenced this before, but slave owners of, the uh, pre-Civil War American era in their letters to each other about how to control the slaves, it was very evident that uh, the key is to restrict the language that the slave has access to or that the words that they know so that they only can describe their life as being as good as it could be. That they can't imagine anything outside of the box that they're in, that there's no way to elevate past this. This is as good as it gets. And doing so, like, you know, keep them to a certain limited range of vocabulary is the way to do that. So, right. <laughs> Juan, what's next, Chance? That homunculus aren't real? <laughs> well, we've all seen Joe Rogan. We know homunculus are real and that they come out of an anus. <laughs> so, Juan, don't so, worry. They're, they're real. So, Chance, I want to maybe bring some evidence forward for the echidna being under the Vatican. Um in a couple different ways, like we've we've discussed how, you know, uh, the mother of all monsters, mother of all beasts, the Moab, she's under Mount Etna and Mount Etna is perpetually getting kicked by the boot of Italy. 
And so in a fascinating way, and now Rome is like up on the shin of the leg that is Italy, the leg end of Italy. Uh, Rome is up around the shin, but the echidna is literally getting kicked by the toe of Italy. But also, if you follow uh, the spear of St. Michael, it, uh, it traces over a series of really fascinating castles and sacred locations. It's a, a ley line, a dragon line, and it cuts right through Rome. It goes right through the Vatican, and then it cuts right through the Echidna Islands, the islands of the Echidna. And so in two different ways, on one end of the toe, there's an Echidna getting kicked, and then under the heel, there is literally another uh, Echidna Islands are being speared by the spear of St. Michael. So all of those are kind of just fun uh, little evidences that the echidna is underneath the Vatican, uh, like literally on a map. <laughs> uh, and yeah, the, the underworld element of all this too. But anyway, Dylan texted me this. He says, this is the closest he's ever come to an illustration of what he saw. And it's very interesting that the name of this painting, I don't know when it's from, I'm guessing it's modern because it's got a website at the bottom, but the name of the painting is Queen Gloriana. Queen Gloriana. Bro, he, okay. So this is what he saw. Those are the type of horns. Okay. Oh my God. There's so much going on. Dylan, Dylan, my man. Freaking me out. Okay. Maybe this he is, needs to just call in. You want a link, buddy? <laughs> he, could, he could come in because, th- th- again, here we're seeing, like, Dylan, is, he's using this scientifically. He's saying, I didn't have, in, it wasn't programmed or impressed onto me in advance. And so it was, you know, he birthed this image. Uh, and then he had to go and try it. He had to struggle to find something as close as he could come to it. Well, what is amazing is the nature of her horns here. They curl from underneath, right? The larger ones, they curl from below. They don't come up. They're not obtruse on the top. They're coming from beneath. And that is a characteristic of the the rams of the Isle of Man. In the Isle of Man, their flag is based on the Sicilian flag that is based on the Echidna, the Medusa, the She-Viper, the She-Drake, the Moab. There is so much consistency. So for him to bring forward an image with that type of horn underneath the ear coming from below is has echoes in the coinage. Remember, we were talking about uh, great oh, queens. yeah. Great oh, queens. yeah. They would have a they would have a hood or a bonnet, but it would very subtly have a curl of hair down low under her ear, and that was a horn of initiation. Let, let me find that coin we were looking yes. at the other day just to compare. And now, when we say horn of initiation, we have to put ourselves back in that time frame mentally because the horn is a cup; it's a chalice; it's the shofar. In uh, again, when we lift the shofar, whether we're going to blow the battle cry of the shofar or if we're filling up our, our musket, we lift the shofar because we're filling up the musket. Or if we lift up the shofar because we're cheers, we're toasting to the ancestors. There it is. That is an initiation. 
all things that you lift the shofar upward is a beginning. It's a starting off something. It's even a, you know, you're about to shoot your musket. You're about to blow your load. It's very uh, crazy psychosexual. Well, and then they associate this with uh, what I think is an incorrect uh, attribution, maybe, but maybe not. They call this Cloachina, which is like Venus Cloachina. They say the goddess of the sewers. <laughs> so that's the underworld element coming in again. Damn. You know, like what do they, they, you know, there's always, there's probably more of this in the past, but, you know, there's urban legends of lizard people and mutated alligators and teenage mutant ninja turtles and whatever in the sewers. And then in the same vein, a lot of this, a lot of this French stuff revolves around or gets into deep underground bases. And you yes. know, we just did this vibrant about the underground tunnels and sewers and stuff of the world. We barely even touched on, you know, barely even touched on a, a small percentage of them. Right. Cucumber wants to know what does cloaching mean? Uh, it's like cloaca. <laughs> it's like a sewage or a drain or purifying element. So it's also what, is, the- what I think the attribution is, is that this image on the right is a depiction of the ark. And when the world is purified by the flood and this is the generative principle, uh, <laughs> this is Eros and his twin, you know, like, I think that's what riding on the boat, the ark. That's my thoughts. Yeah. I think Dylan's going to jump in though. I sent him the link. That's exciting. Oh, we'll get to cool, hear cool, this cool. story maybe more in more detail or whatever. So the whole, this, this, it's so fascinating to me sometimes how it's, it is both literal and metaphorical. In the va- and I can't, I'm like constantly in both worlds. I'm like, oh, here's a literal example. Here's a really great metaphor. And then I'm like finding myself in, in both of those examples. So like you were saying, deep military underground bases going into the sewage is the, the perfect place to hide things. You know, it's the one place people don't want to look, you know, is in the, in the uh, sewer or the, uh, in the underworld. But then there's something about, like I always find examples of that which appears to be profane or silly or foolishness is actually counting on you to laugh and change the subject and look away. Because if you can stick with the, the mystery of it, you can penetrate to deeper levels on the other side. So like one example is uh, one of my, uh, my uh, avatar pictures is a a bust of Zeus, a sculpture of Zeus, but it's flipped upside down. And if you can look at it for maybe a minute, you'll start to realize that Zeus, his his nose is upside down. It's like, you know, it is where his forehead should be. And it looks like a cock. And you're like, is this a joke? But it still looks like a face. So it's like his, his nose becomes a cock pointing upward it's like, oh yeah, Zeus was a dickhead. Okay, I get it. Very funny. He was a rapist. He had he had you know sex on the mind all the time. You kind of you get the joke. But then you look, you keep looking a little longer, and you realize that the entire bust of Zeus's head, it looks exactly like a gray alien. And there's no nose. The nose is actually absent, and that that's part of like his ridge line of the shape of his head. 
in the absence of a nose, but you can still see a little mouth, a tiny little mouth. And it just blows me away that if I'd have laughed it off and been like, yeah, Zeus is a dickhead. I never got to the deeper mystery that there's a fucking gray alien looking me eye to eye the whole time. <laughs> I don't have a mute button. So <laughs> unless I do, I'm on. Uh... Oh, no, yeah, I a... button. All right. I'm, I'm on my daily walk. So I, I was listening. I've been listening for the whole time I've been working. And yeah, I'm buddy. Wrapped up. Man, this is such a good one, but yeah, uh, it's funny because we always talk about witchers, and where I do, anyways. I think we're witchers. I really do. It's that it's a metaphor, and you talk about the mother of monsters and all that stuff. I had experiences where I was prophesied events. I literally, she literally showed me an image. Uh, weeks before it happened of me and my grandmother sitting behind beside the sea facing the east and she said when this moment arrives I want you to ask your your grandmother this question what do you think about life now that you're at the end of it and then she told me I want you to cherish that answer because it's the last time you're going to see her and it was like I mean, I, I was bawling, you know, like it was like, I still get like choked up. Right. But what she didn't show me is what was behind me, which is like my whole family. And it ended up being this whole healing process that I've told you guys about, I think, where basically my grandmother hadn't mourned her, the passing of her husband and my family was worried about her, that something was wrong. And she just had such a beautiful answer about life. And that's why she had such peace about everything that then they understood that's why she didn't mourn. But had she not done that and told me, I, I wouldn't have said that. Had she not said, cherish that answer because it's the last time you're going to see her, I wouldn't have had the balls to say that because when the moment came, when she showed me the moment, the moment was behind us facing the east and it, it wasn't showing all the people behind me. And so I had to do that in front of a lot of people. It was fucking crazy. So... This world is insane in terms of, it's not insane. I should say it's, it's, this world doesn't work the way we're, we're taught it does. There's a lot of things I don't have the answers for, but during my experience, before I uh, got introduced to her through my, or brought to her on that journey, I was tortured for like three hours and I wouldn't like, like all I could describe it as is like, it was like something was trying to evoke me to like purge to just like, just rip me apart and I wouldn't break. And the priest next to me, he was fucking throwing up on his knees and shit. And this guy was like a warrior does it all the time. We're talking about Aya, right? All this shit's going and I wouldn't break. And finally, after three hours, they stopped and everything, the whole experience got fine. And I was brought in and allowed to like, you know, talk about whatever I wanted. And she said, I didn't have to help people. She's like, you literally, you literally can do anything you want. You don't have to worry about any of these people here. It's not your, you know, your responsibility, but you will be like, nobody's going to fuck with you. If you, whatever you choose, you can do it. And they'll leave you alone because of me. 
and was like, well, I want to take down the fucking priests. <laughs> no, so the mother of monsters said that to you, like that you would be safe to, to choose any path. Not only that. So my name literally means great tide. My middle name is Michael. She called me Michael in the experience. She referred to me as Michael. And apparently in the experience, I'm her child. I'm like the black sheep. And so while everybody else despises me because I don't, I'm not like them in this experience, she protects me because I'm like her little baby. I'm like, I'm not like the other monsters. And so that go ahead is what gave me the courage to say, fuck, I'm not, I'm going to stop doing allegories with Tale of Anora and just start putting the shit out there for people to just get it directly. That's what gave me the balls to do it. Because prior to that, I had an experience, another experience, not on entheogens, where I hooked up with this woman. And I'm pretty sure, going back to what you guys were saying uh, earlier about, like, the agenting Smiths or whatever, there's something dark about this woman. Because after that, I had these crazy, like, terrors in the night that felt like I was being snatched. And I had to, it took everything in me to like not have my soul like ripped out of me conscious. Like, but it's at night, you know? So it's always those times where like. I had that happen repeatedly with my ex. I've never told anybody about it. Really? (laughs) My my ex-wife. Yeah. While I was in that marriage, I had like the night terrors, old hag, like demon in the corner, like trying to get me, trying to scream, can't move, paralyzed, like at least once a week that I remember. That is so freaky. So, and, and I, I, that's the only reason I don't dismiss people as crackpots is because I've had these experiences myself and I wouldn't believe it if I didn't have it myself. But, uh, one of the experiences I got introduced to these mantis beings and in this world, they basically told me to stop meddling. This was before I had the, I, this is like catalyst leading up to me being willing to do Aya. Cause I was willing to die. I was like, I need to have the like spiritual experience to know what the hell is going on and what my purpose in this whole, what I need to do. Right. Because it's like hard. Cause a lot of us feel like warriors, but we don't have orders. We don't, you know, it's almost like we're like self-sufficient. We, you know, you kind of just have to go with your instincts and your intuition and make know, it up as you go. Yeah. That's, not, that's what it means to be in like, you know, working with the creator is the creator makes it up as it goes. That's what it means to be a creator. So like, we got to be willing to do that. Yeah. So that, that scene I wrote in, uh, in the third tale of Anora book, it's called the mantis. That's, that is my real life experience allegorized. And I had this, this thing. So two out of three nights, I had these crazy night terrors after following this woman and on on the on the last uh, on the first one after the they were two different experiences but i woke up with a message like in the like i woke up from it like got out of my bed was like finally when the whole ordeal was over and my phone was just a text saying sweet dreams from her and this is after the the first one happened but it had it was two out of three nights so it had that symbolism of the two divided by the three and uh, which is the 666 for point six 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 for people who don't know. And then shortly thereafter, I think that followed the like a day or two afterwards. Because I believe this happens on a Tuesday 
Wednesday, I got the night off. Thursday, the terrors came back again in a different experience. Oh! And then... Uh, doing a podcast over here. Um, and then I think it was on Friday where I got... Uh, I was on... I used to be on Goodreads uh, before Amazon bought it. And uh, I got banned from Goodreads. I'm like probably one of the only authors that's been banned from Goodreads. This is before I really understood the internet. Somebody, I got a notification. And I, so it's like basically someone on my end is like commenting on my book or whatever, saying something nasty about it. So I'm going back and I'm like, what? Like, you're, you're trashing my book, but it's like, you could read 10% of it for free. If you think the thing sucks from page one, why did you buy it? And then keep reading. You know what I mean? It was like this whole thing. And then all these fake reviews started coming in while I'm talking to this one person, because the way Goodreads works is like, when you go back and forth with people, it's like their whole fucking following sees it. Everybody else is, it's like this crazy network effect that I, I had no idea about. I just think I'm talking to like one person before you know it. I've got like thousands of people. Leaving you all kicked the gamma hive. Well, no, but it was my fault. I, I just didn't understand the situation. I should never have even responded. So it was a great lesson. But then like, the next day, you've got Neil Gaiman. He's got millions of followers on Twitter tweeting about me. You've got all these things. So for like years, that's all you saw on. Wait, 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 wait. The day after that dream, Neil Gaiman, shut the fucking door, Dylan. Are you serious? It was either that day or the day after. Yeah, I went. I went viral. Like I'm like a villain. I'm a villain. All right. Like, you, here's his Goodreads page right here. And uh, what, what one and a half star, one and a half star, and that's, one that's star. The one they deleted. So you guys got to realize they, there was like a thousands of fake reviews. Goodreads deleted all of them the next day. And then they still poured on. So what you're seeing is like after they've deleted all the fake reviews, that's still what's on there. Okay. For the record, it's all my fault. I shouldn't, you know, I take responsibility for it. I apologize. Like it was, I just, right. we're used to dealing with the fucking Reddit people on YouTube. We're used to being in the trenches on comments. Right. The internet, the Goodreads back then was not used to what we deal with on a daily basis in this space. So, <laughs> like, yep. you know. Tell me what what year what year did that happen? I believe this is two thousand and sixteen. Damn! What was Gaiman's role? Like, what did he tweet about it? No, he he didn't knock me. He just said like he he said like he he tweeted the whole situation. He was like, when somebody leaves a bad review, that it I forget what he said, but it's like it's not like a personal attack or something. So he didn't really like like go at me hard but he brought attention to it there's no question about it like you know everybody in the publishing world knew about it and so that's kind of like i kind of shot my career in the i shot myself in the foot there's no question about it but that after that i was like fuck all of you i'm just i'm just going yeah. out i'm not going to do allegories anymore so so your the story of your dream was bringing into my mind's eye a scene from american gods i've never and seen that and, and I wasn't going to say anything. What's that? Is that a movie or a show? It's a series that Neil Gaiman uh, helps produce. And it's, it's a uh, comics that he wrote. Yes. And it's, um it's an incredible amalgamation. It's like a, he's really practicing the art of hyper sigils. 
every character is in fact multiple related gods baked and reduced down into a single character. So he's really amalgamated every single person personality, and then he's woven their fates in a, it's a fascinating series. I do recommend it, but specifically when you were talking about the dream that you were like, and then you woke up and there was that, or there was that sweet dreams text, you know, there is a scene in that movie where uh, a character uh, he's from the Middle East. He gets into a taxi cab and it's driven by a djinn. And he oh, recognizes he recognizes the djinn I by the up with the female djinn. What are they called? Djinnas? <laughs> so in so then they end up getting together and there's some sort of like they're having spirit sex and a fire goes into the other and it's all fucking gay men. It's Neil Gaiman to the max. Yeah. Okay. Neil Gaiman. <laughs> it's so crazy. It's so obvious. For the record, right. I don't have anything against Neil Gaiman. I'm just right, 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 right. His name is, you know, I'm not mad at him. But I think part of the mythos that he's uh, he's conveying forward there is the idea that there's actually, I mean, we know that there's a spiritual connection to everybody we can we we mate with, but. <laughs> But let's let's imagine what if the person we mated with has mated with something that is not of the same exact spiritual orientation as us, and they pick up a carry on. Well, I dude, I hear on it. MU all the time. There's tons of people that talk about like you know we were discussing the sleep paralysis or like the soul sucking type of deal, but there are you know there's lore of incubi and succubi going back forever. And people having uh, some people even having like ongoing relationships with a particular spirit that visits them at night and they get it on astrally. So that's definitely in the mix. And this is interesting that it's going here because while we were looking at this illustration that you shared with us that you thought was close to what you saw with the mother of monsters she was naked in my, in my experience, like she, she didn't have the clothes, but like that, that dignified, that she looked like reminded me of like Judy Dench almost. That's the closest human I've ever seen. And when I saw this, I was like that, that air, almost that air, that air, like. Yeah. Like yeah. that sort of uh, ro- royalty yeah. vibe. Well, okay, so this guy has titled his piece of artwork Queen Gloriana. And so I, I, there's something that's just been puzzling me and I've been trying to find the receipt on for a couple of days where I read in Higgins in Anacalypsis an account he had of an apocryphal gospel. But unfortunately, I don't think he named which one. I've been trying to find it. So this is like a homework project. If anybody out there wants to help out searching for this and could find the apocryphal gospel that references this, should it exist or still exist, maybe it's, you know, covered up or buried or in a vault somewhere. But the account is of Anna, the mother of Mary. So this is Queen Gloriana here. Anna, the mother of Mary, being impregnated by a serpent while she's asleep. A serpent slithers over her and impregnates her and thus gives birth to, she gives birth from this immaculate conception to Mary. And thus Mary is the mother and daughter of God. And so and uh, there's the more to it than Augustus. that. That's the same What's with Augustus birth, right? Augustus Caesar, his yeah. mother was impregnated by Apollo in the form of a serpent. 
Yeah. Yeah. And this is going back to the idea of the Neros that I bring up all the time that the Lord of the seculum of whatever current world age has always got this lore of the immaculate conception behind it. And then so many power hungry tyrants will even try to like apply that story to themselves. And for example, if you look into the story of uh, Scipio Africanus in Rome, he tried to do this and he got caught for faking it and was banished over it. So there's like, you know, I think Alexander the Great is an an example of it as well. And this is part of why history is so mixed up in euhemisms and mythological attributes applied to potentially real people and such a damn mess because it's been part of the priestcraft and the kingship for a long time to try to like grab these traits, these astrotheological traits and apply them to your life story or retroactively apply them to somebody who maybe was a eminent benefactor of mankind so that there's more weight to their, their, maybe their descendants authority or things of that nature. So anyway, if anyone wants to help me find the story of wh- what gospel it is, where mother of Mary, Anna is impregnated by a snake and she might've been three or four years old, like a toddler when it happened if I understand what Higgins said correctly. And somehow as a four-year-old carries the term and gives a virgin birth to Mary, mother of Jesus. Uh, Theology in it all day, you know? Oh, of course. That absurd shit, you know, it's something else. Oh, of course. But so anyway, why I, why I find that fascinating or why I wanted to share that is because the immaculate conception idea, we're talking about spiritual sex. We're talking about incubi, succubi, you know, there could be as much as there's astrotheology involved here, we could be looking at a blend of mythos and people maybe trying to account for some of these paranormal experiences that are known about and have always been known about. Yeah, one of the things that I think about often is how different someone would have interacted with the world before technology, before even the ability to send like messages, like a courier system, right? Like you embark on a ship. You may never see your homeland again. And nobody you grew up with will ever know what happened to you if you don't. You know what I mean? Like just the way you would interact with the world like that is so different than anything we can understand Especially there would have to be more reverence, like every interaction would be more significant, important, meaningful. You wouldn't take shit for granted. That's for sure. Exactly. But you'd also be like superstitious or whatever the word is, because you there's so many times where, you know, like I've been out in in the middle of the ocean or not in the middle of the ocean, but like far enough where you can't see land on any side. And I've hit a reef and a sailboat. I know what that experience is like. And then you go, you, the whole boat is like, and then you like run over to the side and it's like six feet of water with like stalagmite looking things coming up and you think you're going to die. And there's fucking sharks. That, you know what I mean? Like that's terrifying. So when you get out of that, it's like you make deals with God. Like if you save me, I'll, I'll fucking do anything. You know what I mean? Like it, it's real easy when you're in these high stress, like situations where it's like life or death to, to have these spiritual experiences and, you know, I don't dismiss, like, I don't dismiss any of the accounts that people have. 
because I've had them myself. I, it's just not history. That's where my thing is. That's where like I try. That's why I didn't really ever talk about my experiences before, because I don't want people interpreting them as claims on historical shit. You know. You know, uh, I was uh, talking about the fates today, Dylan, and I and I was bringing up examples in, in like our life in modern context of how the fates are still in play. You know, and one. One example, it reminds me of yours, you know, the, the, that you were graced with an opportunity to say the right thing at the right moment. And it was, it was instilled in you just like a prophecy in advance that you, and then you lived it out. And then and I didn't get that opportunity with anybody else. It was my grandmother who was the last Caesar, the last one that was born with the Caesar name in my family. Wow. Wow. And I love how these things, they happen over the course of so much time and there's so much meaning packed into them that it takes us so long to unpack it later in life. And like, while we think that we've unpacked it, sometime down the road, you're going to think of one little more detail that that was too much with all that you were juggling in the first unpack. And so there's like, it just keeps giving. And I think that's kind of one of the things about the fates is like when the meaningfulness of an event happens all at once, it's given to us with too much for us to fully appreciate in the moment. And then it'll be years later in retrospect, hindsight, we look back and we're like, how did I miss this part of the event? Well, it was because there was enough for you to deal with in the moment of it, that later on, you know, the full meaningfulness of it. Uh, And that's kind of, I think that's kind of what, it's so big that it needs something uh, uh, in, I want to say inordinate, something outside of ourselves uh, to take the credit for it. You know, and I think the fates are a good, a good example of that. Gabe chance. Are you two fatalists? I've never asked you this before. Hmm. No, not. I actually, I, I, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the reason why I think the reason why I believe in free will is because of witnessing in myself and others willful ignorance. Actually, <laughs> because we see like the natural way for things is that ecosystems will balance themselves. They will, you know, homeostasis in the body is achieved. What is needed will manifest or appear. What is too much will be consumed, et cetera. Like nature does this equilibrium thing. Yet human beings have the ability, despite every opportunity always being available in their environment and within themselves to bring equilibrium, that we have the capacity to willfully ignore our the ability to balance ourselves, to find equilibrium, to heal, to et cetera, you know. <laughs> to me, actually, that is the evidence of free will and not, and not fatalism. To me, the willful ignorance is the evidence of that, interestingly enough. I mean, there's probably other ways you could describe it, but uh, <laughs> what about having this conversation will? today. What about that free will, but these external factors that will come like fuck you up and block you, even though you're using your free will to do something that you want to do. And they like they shut the door in your face, so to speak. You know what I mean? I think there's always a way and, you know, sometimes the obstacles appear, but they are just telling you what the way is in a sense. 
But yeah, I'm not a fatalist. I think that there's, you know, it's like column A, column B. I'm a bothist, maybe, that there are elements of our life story that are in some way kind of predestined or preplanned out. But on some level, I, I personally think that that's a, that there's choice on some level, even with that stuff, even, even if that choice is pre current incarnation, pre life. So, uh, I mean, maybe I just want to choose the most empowering way to look at life, mm-hmm. but that, uh, that's how I see it. I think even there are no victims ultimately because there's only one mind ultimately. So, <laughs> That's that's where I'm at with it. Yeah, yeah, that's such a good question. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Your turn. I'm, I'm kind of yeah. I'm kind of a. Uh, it's a, interesting that this has come up twice today. Uh, but I am a little bit in both worlds. Uh, I'm not generally. I'm not a fatalist, but I do believe that there is like a general outline of the life experience uh, that we that we all do go through. That, uh, you know, that, so there are rites of passage built into the realm. And so, uh, and it's on, it's incumbent on us to like find a good guide or be a good guide for people as they come up on those rites of passage. And those are the kind, I think the most noble of jobs is to be, uh, you know, uh, 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 kind of like a, a, yeah, a guide for people in, in certain, you know, like a, a driver's ed instructor or a martial arts instructor or a, a, a minister who's going to help people, you know, get people married. Uh, so those things are inevitable that you're going to come up on those rites of passage uh, in your life. Your first fight, the first fight you lose. And guess what? You've never won a fight. <laughs> You've never won a fight if you fought. You know, but the uh, the first one you lose is uh, is crucial. It's crucial because you realize that, that you know what it's like for both sides. But so to some degree, uh, I am a fatalist. But I think that there are little. That's part of what this uh, a cosmology does for us is it gives us context for those inevitable rites of passage, so that we can have really strong, solid language to have command in the moment when we come into that experience and we can be like, ah, this is what my fucking dad told me that if the fastest way to die is to sleep with a married woman. Now I know what he was talking about. You know what I mean? And like, it, it doesn't help that he told me it was going to happen. You have to get into the situation and you realize, Oh fuck, am I going to get killed when I go out to my car after work? I won't even touch a woman that has been separated. That's in the process of divorce. If it hasn't finalized yet. Cause even that I feel like will bring spiritual. Right. Back. So yes. So if you tempt that inevitability, you are fucking with what is fate. So like my, my point is like, you don't, you just don't break these rules, but if you do break the rules, let's say you, you know, you didn't know she was married. You find out after the fact and she's like, guess what? Hubby wants, wants, wants a piece of your ass. Your fate is now sealed to some degree. Your fate is sealed. But if you have the wherewithal to like move ahead of the game and go find him and, you know, come to him and be like, look, man, I had no idea if you got to punch me, punch me right now, but just don't fucking kill me so I could get on with my life. That kind of thing. There are certain things where you find yourself in a fatalistic situation where you're like, what can I do to take the reins here? You leave a post-it note under the toilet seat. Always leave a note. <laughs> That's how you do that. 
Bro code. Bro code 101. So, okay, well, to tie it back into this episode, though, because this is really important. That's so funny. Like, if there's another man in this house, I'm sorry I didn't know. <laughs> and also, your your wife is uh, cheating. <laughs> Don't go down there. She never, and then put the toilet seat down. She'll never know. That's so funny, dude. If you go down there, you'll start buying leather jackets without owning motorcycles. <laughs> so uh, one of our one of our group members shared this tarot card nine of swords and says that this is the Gemini Deacon we're on right now is the nine of swords and like look there it is the night terrors so you know is it fatalistic that we are even talking about this today interesting and the monogram of Mary is the nine eleven that so if you were to just mirror that and connect it it would look like the M. That Mary, if you just type in monogram of Mary in images, you'll see what I'm talking about. But um, what I wanted to bring up with you guys, though, because it's related to everything you're talking about. Uh, so in that fatalistic view, OK, so let's say we do have free will, but there are these weird spiritual laws that we sometimes bring upon ourselves by behaving in certain ways. Well, what about energies whether spirit guides or otherwise people you've interact with that are no longer here that are still in your space uh or still in your life maybe consensually not like maybe like you never said no so they're there and maybe have you ever thought about the possibility of and people that you loved or that may have loved you that stuck around a little bit or whatever and maybe pushing things away from you because you don't you're not even aware that they're there. And the reason I ask is because this is work that I've done with like psychics and shit back in the day and like talking about shit, like, Hey, just so you know, you have this woman with you. Who is this? And my friend who is a psychic and I don't mean psychic, like predicts the future psychic, like sees images around you and can kind of tell you what's going on. And he literally described a girl that I grew up with that died to a T He's like, she's got blonde hair, blue eyes. And that's who I write the tale of Honora about. And that's why I always, always loved that story, The Legend of Zelda, because it reminded me of her so much. And um, I, he had no idea. This is before I had written any of that shit. This was like in 2008. And he's like, just so you know, she's still around you. And she, put, you know, she protects you fiercely, but sometimes she might be protecting you too much. And that's like work that I had to do. And I just was wondering what your take on that was. Well, I can answer that. I've had more than one psychic tell me independently of each other that there's uh, an older woman in native American dress holding like a deerskin drum that hangs out behind me. So I had that verified in a sense because people who didn't know each other and hadn't heard the other one's description told me the exact same description. And I think it's like a, a, an ancestor, like a far back grandmother. It may be that I'm um, probably the first in her line of descendants that has picked up the healing arts again in any way. And so perhaps she wants to like share her the inspiration for that or has something that I'm supposed to learn from her. But I have not really made contact. I've been told by these psychics that I'm supposed to get a deer skin drum and work with that. And maybe that will help me get into the meditative zone. Actually, the How reason why I never did is happen. because I was, uh, you know, I was still quote unquote vegan. And that's why I wouldn't get the drum that I was being advised to get 
that would help me connect with her. But that's interesting. This is coming up because it makes me want to, you know, do that now. What about you, Gabe? Uh, clinger, clinging, clinger honors, <laughs> residual energies. You know, um, I have a pretty regular practice of like, I mean, I, <laughs> not a metaphor. I dance and I sing to my ancestors and every once in a while, a particular energy or thought or song will uh, kind of sing back to me. And that's how I know that I'm, uh, you know, that I'm on the, on the, on the right path. Yeah. I have a lot of, uh, uh, spirits that I commune with, uh, some more regularly than others. Uh, uh, but I keep it, uh, playful, you know, for me, it's, it's a playful thing. And it's, uh, I often think about sending them on tasks on uh, things to do, and even like giving them a mission while I'm asleep, you know, like tonight when I go to sleep, I want to think about this, uh, but it, I can't, I don't think it ever, if it happens, it happens early in my sleep and I don't remember it when I wake up. You know what I mean? Um, uh, and sometimes in the middle of my sleep, they will come to me and they'll be like, yo, man, that one thing you were thinking about, you were right on point. And this is how you need to think about it from here on. And they'll start to shape my thoughts. And, uh, and for me, I have a lot of dream premonitions in this tail end of my sleeping. I have a specific phase of sleep where I'm like, okay, this is where I'm getting answers and guidance and need to, and then I wake up and I try to go back and like make a mental list. I don't, I don't journal, but I make a mental list of like, what was I told? Oh, and what was that one thing? Oh, oh, and this other thing. And so, yeah, I do have like certain uh, thought forms that I commune with and they come back to me and they reward me in my dreams. What if that's the reason for inverting the perceived nature of reality is so that you don't tap into this shit, that you don't recognize any of this stuff. Because if you think you're on an infinite, like in an infinite expanding world and you're common and it's just one little speck in the universe where there's lots of life all over the place, yeah. you won't recognize the centrality, if that's even a word. Like we are in literally a creation and it just logically follows that something created it and there's all kinds of, and it logically follows just based on experiencing living matter and dead matter. Like, you know, and for anyone who's ever killed something or seen it happen and life leave that quick, something that was so connected to this world is just gone. And it's just a corpse and the corpse is just like this. It's, it's, it's not, it, it, it just goes away after that it decays. And, you know, it's like that life, where is that coming and going and nobody can create it? You know what I mean? So it's like, man, I just think the, the world is literally your oyster. Once you realize, you know, the nature has been the, the perceived nature of it has been hijacked and, and inverted. I think that's what, that's the whole point of it is to disempower us from connecting with those higher spiritual forces. I think to really life force energy, however you want to conceptualize that is the primary grounds of reality. Like, 
<laughs> my my theology, to be frank about it, is that I think life force energy is God. I think that's the same thing. I think the the whatever this pleuromic pre-existing to matter ordering principle that which causes harmony spontaneously to generate. I think life force energy is that, you know, the divine spark, whatever, what have you. And I don't, I think our life force energy is not just connected to the rest of life force energy, but that life force energy, if as it is God to me, as I think it is God, it means that, that it's, Whatever part of it you're looking at in a fractal sense, whatever life force energy is in a vessel or in an environment is actually all the life force energy of the all. That's the centrality element you're talking about. <laughs> drop in the ocean, ocean in a drop type of thing. I think it's all interconnected. It is all one. Um, the singularity is life force in a, in a sense. That's kind of where I'm at with it. I hope that makes sense. I think that's why there is a yearning to go home, to go back to God, because we are that like fractal one in itself. You know, there, that's, you know, that's what a lot of the mystery schools teach, too. When they're not, you know, dealing with all the perversion stuff at the core, there's a lot of that good gravy in there. Yeah. You know, I think of uh, the Oversoul. Uh, it's a sun card, basically, which has the glyph of the monad, you know, the circumpunct. And uh, uh, that I attribute philosophically, I attribute uh, Emerson and Thoreau to the sun card. Uh, and uh, they would often speak of the over soul. That was one of their terms of, their, of, that, uh, of that movement, that thought movement. Well, it just blows me away that today we still use OS in a very significant way in technology. We call it operating system. We still use the oversoul in that acronym. In a, in a just my, and then we also have the yellow brick road takes us to Oz. You know? <laughs> there it is. I knew that was coming. <laughs> <laughs> I like what Snake said here too. Who's to say? Maybe we haven't been born yet. Could still be a fetus in your mother's womb, dreaming, creating the world you want to be in, be born in. I do kind of see it that way. I think that it's just like wombs within wombs within wombs <laughs> you know like we're just hop we're just womb hopping i love it i love it there it is i mean it kind of has to be because of the containment aspect you know i mean someone who's not like familiar with this stuff might scoff and like you know laugh at that but it's like you are breathing gas pressure it's not possible if there's no containment poke even a little hole in a tire and watch what happens to the gas pressure right is not the nature of gas to stay to become pressurized unless there's containment. So regardless of what that container is, it might just be a giant fucking placenta. <laughs> Are you saying that we're not on a bowl floating through an infinite void with no barrier between the ground and the outer space, infinite emptiness? Yes. Learn how to, for those who don't like it, learn how to use a sextant to acquire an elevation angle and you'll see it's possible on a curved surface. You heard it here, folks. We got Dylan. He's a placentrist. He's officially ah! 100% placentrist. 100%. That's the, best thing. That's the best thing to describe it because it is flat, but there's a, it's not like it's like literally like 
paper, but just it's we're in a horizontal where it's like it's someone the placenta. It's like the lying on its side. It's so profound. It's so Dude, profound. Yeah. Gabe, how are you not right. a placentrist yet? <laughs> Placentas are flat, dude. You know, relatively speaking. <laughs> They're not a ball. So I, I'm gonna share some of my uh, Philip K. Dick weave <laughs> from this morning, which is picked. PKD picked, you know, he's the chosen one, right? Um, so, uh, Valis is the name of this operating system, this OS, right? And Valis, I went through just a quick short list. I mean, I didn't even dig very deep on its, uh, so it has gematrological harmony. It's a number 18 on in reduced gematria. It has harmony with Dallas, D-A-L-I-S, and M-A-L-I-S. And Dallas has a dark history of malice. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to point out how Valis rhymes with these two very significant uh, other words. We're taking liberties on the spelling, but the sound is what's important here. Um, Dallas, Dallas, Malice, um, this operating system. Oh, and also palace, came, palace, wisdom. palace and palace. Yes. Yes. If you so grant came, me, if you grant me the RL interchange, as you would say, Gabe, yeah. you get, uh, Pharaohs. Oh, damn. And there's the lighthouse. There also is the lighthouse. Again, the tower of the, of the mind of the philosophers, the lovers of the, of the Pharaohs, really the lovers of the Pharaohs. But so, uh, oh yeah. Let, let me get that. Let me th- pick that up and throw it back at you. If you, if I can reciprocate your L to R switch, philosophers becomes uh, lovers of the of the lighthouse of the pharos, philo pharos, right? Philosopheros are and the lovers not of really the lighthouse. A word, but pharaoh is green. You know. So okay, right? Which is how they make the. LSD. <laughs> uh, LSD is made from grain. Uh, it's like an ergot. Yeah, it comes from barley ergot, right? Yeah, uh, I so, don't think that it was ever a new discovery formula. I think it's probably right? some kind of remix of Elocinian LSD and LSD and mystery for Not sure. Sensual <laughs> initiation. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, so even um. Uh, so like Rockefeller has a translation to barley, uh, the barley mill or the barley stone, the barley stone. Dude, you guys just made me remember just by when you, so the shamans that I work with, they said they had been, uh, and priests they know were working with these big families. I won't say their names, but you kind of just alluded to some of them doing this Aya shit yep. in their covens, right? To yep. try to influence shit on the astral world, bring it about on this one. That's what they said to me in private. Yeah, man. Yeah. It is so, pro- it, we live in such a profound world. And what's like, okay, there are so many things that it's like, um, it's almost like, a, I don't know, it's like a, we're constantly pulling scales off of our eyes. You know, in uh, like 
uh, one that I'm still kind of like I was talking about. Every time you wake up in the morning, you got to get the crusties out. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I do it like 10 times a day anymore. (laughs) But here's another one. It's like, uh, the, the whole circumcision generating, uh, what is it like reducing your sexual experience by what is that? It desiccates. It's a desiccation. There's it like millions of nerves being cut off there. Yeah. And um, like when, so my doctor saved me from the knives. Uh, he's from, he was from Britain. Dr. Uh-huh. Wallace, I'll never forget him. And he was saying when I grew up, he was like, oh yeah. He's like, don't do it because uh, even as an adult, he's like, my friend, got circumcised as an adult after he had already had sex. And he was like, he said that before uh, he had gotten circumcised on a scale of one to 10, sex was a 13. He said after he got circumcised, he said sex was like a three. He's like, he couldn't feel anything as an adult. So he, he had had both. And he said, yes, Yes, that's the story of Tiresias. He's a, he's a, he uh, comes upon the two snakes and he smashes them, and then he gets a curse where uh, he stops them from copulating. They're they're copulating. Yeah. What's, yeah. His, what's the root of his word? His name? Tur? Sur? Tur? Sir? Yeah. T y r e is right there at the beginning. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Tyre Zeus, basically. Tiresias. Tyre yes. Zeus. Yeah. He's even uh, the seer of Zeus. He becomes the seer of Zeus uh, because. Um, yeah, because he turns into a woman because he gets cursed, and then he lives for seven years. He even has kids, married kids, and then he comes upon the same snakes. And he, some say he just leaves them alone. Uh, some say he just pulls them apart instead of killing them. And then he, uh, um, and then he becomes a man again. And then later on in his life, Zeus and Hera are having an argument over who enjoys sex more, and they use him like your friend who was able to actually attest to both, to both ways before and after. And, uh, he, uh, Tiresias, he says that women enjoy sex the most and men enjoy it the least. And for that, he is made blind by Hera. She, uh, she inflicts him with blindness, but then Zeus comes in and, uh, inflicts him with the ability to be a prophet. He has prophecy, uh, so he's a fat and he comes up in many other people's myths. Well, yeah, women throughout history did not want us to know that they enjoy sex more than us. <laughs> that's like that's that's forbidden knowledge for sure. Right? You heard it here. Forbidden knowledge. That's the title of the episode. Now, but here's a question is if the world was uncircumcised, would men enjoy sex more than women? And is there something going on with that threshold of who enjoys it the most? Who's or on top, who's on balanced? the bottom? Right, right. What's crazy is circumcision is originally about the beginning and end of the year. So if you look at like when Christ is circumcised, it's on the eighth day, which is January 1st. You know, so it's, it, it, it actually doesn't have that perverted cut your dick off meaning to it until is it talking about the intercalary days if you have a 360 no, no, days a year about, no it's just talking about the the beginning and end of the year or the end and the beginning of the year hmm i just wonder like you know circumcising cutting off the tip i wonder about could that also if in that threshold between end and beginning of the year 
be talking about the intercalary days if you have a 360 day year, but five dead days like we see in some places of the past. I don't Maybe, know. Just but why would they choose eight instead of five? That's that would be my question. Maybe they were wrong. <laughs> they, 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 they're wrong a lot. Just spitballing here. Yeah. Uh, guys, we've been going over, over three hours. I don't want to make too long a broadcast. Oh, dude, I want to scare people away from I'm jumping thank in. You for inviting don't me be on, sorry. Bro. I appreciate the call. And I've been having fun. It's just that I've been waiting for there to be like a natural lull to kind of wrap it up because there's so much enthusiasm up to this point. I couldn't stop us. But uh, <laughs> Oh, I know what I wanted to tell you before. We oh, yeah, on. definitely. I've been working on this post for like a week or two, maybe like a little, like a little over a week about Volchi which is an Etruscan city-state. And nowhere do they say this is related to Vulcan. But and, and what's crazy is not one Greek or Roman writer talks about it, and it's yet it's one of the most significant. The, when you look at the archaeological finds there, it's one of the most significant locations in the, in, in the ancient world, from metallurgy to st- statue-making to pottery-making. I mean, incredible. And there's this god that's depicted on one of the tombs called Karun, C-H-A-R-U-N, if you want to look him up. He's got the blue skin, very similar to what you see in, the, in, in, in all the Indian mythology, but he's got a fucking hammer, just like Vulcan, and nobody's really making this connection. So... Uh, when that post is done, maybe I can send it to you guys or whatever, and we can do a show yeah. about it. It's fucking, What's it's the name crazy. of the city? Vulci. V-U-L-C-I. Wow. Wow. And this post is going to be legendary. I can't wait. Man, Was this- he associated with volcanoes? Don't know. I think so, but yeah. again... They're not like when I when I'm digging into the status quo and stuff, trying to get whatever I can. I don't think they've made a lot of these connections. I think it's work that's going to have to be done by the likes of witchers. <laughs> <laughs> I I just ask that because uh, you know there's some possibility that the transition from Etruscan civilization to whatever the you know whatever happened between then and there that they mythologize as Romulus and Remus could have had something to do with a volcano. Oh, and in in this tomb, if you want to look it up, it's uh it's Francois tomb. So uh F R A N that little C with the squiggly thing that acts like an S or a Z. Yeah. O I S, right? Just named after the guy who discovered it. Um there's all kinds of fucking gravy, and I just lost my train of thought about what I was going to say about it. Here's um, the Francois fresco. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, dude, Rome is allegedly referred to as Rumach. So it's R U M A C H. That's Ruach. M and W interchange. Oh, that's exact. You know what? I'm vindicated because I just did. You had no idea what I was going to say. And you just yeah. got, I don't have to say it. I Lock ticking. Ruach is Ruach. Yeah. Ruach is, is key row. Ruach is Ray key. Like all that stuff we got into with the key yeah, row. I'm, I'm totally shifting my position because, you know, like people like the Higgins and stuff say, well, when you tra- trace down the Greek, the names of the Greek myths, 
you won't understand them until you get to learn the Sanskrit and because a lot of it's hung up in the Sanskrit. And I think that's because a lot of it is all coming from the ancient Italian civilizations and it's going that way with the conquest of the Phoenicians. Yeah, so like Latin doesn't have an affinity to Sanskrit. Sanskrit has an affinity to Latin. I could see it either. I, I'm at the point where I could see it either way, but like I definitely respect your professional opinion. <laughs> oh no! I'm I mean, just, who, it seems like it, if I'm anything, not I'm right. There's tons of logic in the idea that it comes from Italy because it's right there in the middle Terranean, middle Earth, Mediterranean. Like, there's no better spot to launch a seafaring mercantile empire in that part of the world. Period. Or to even reach like all kinds of parts of the world. Yeah, it's and why have sure. all these archetypes that are related to the sea if you're in a position that's We should tell people behind. what ruach means. Sorry, that's <laughs> a Hebrew word for spirit or breath, right? Am I right about that? I think it's just pronounced ruach. It's, like, it's, like, it's a weird, it's a short, really pronounced, but like... Shit, that sounds like rock. When, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which yeah, is yeah. another name of Tyre. <laughs> Sir, rock. And it's, The Lord uh, is our ruach. For those who want to look it up, it's transliterated as R-U-A-C-H. But it's a Hebrew word, and you know it could be made equivalent to the idea of the life force energy, or the, the you know the breath breathed into the nostrils of Adam. And back to the whole God is life force energy, ruach, hero, all that is like in the mix. I think that's the ancient theology. I think that that idea is ancient. It's not like I made it up. I think it's evident. I think it's self evident in nature if you you know explore. If you explore the reality deep enough, it'll, it'll have been there the whole time, right under your nose. So, uh, Dylan, with that with that post, are you uh, are you tracking the hammer? Is that the the artifact you're really honing in on? I just noticed it today, like uh, really deeply, like. So I'm still working it out. So that's why it would be fun, like to maybe give you guys access to it or whatever, so you can see it. And what I found out is this. Uh, I sent this to Chance. I don't know if he's gotten a chance to see it because he's so busy, but I just learned on Substack, you can invite other writers. They don't even have to be on Substack to contribute to your post and it'll post their name and shit as a way to like cross pollinate and like promote other people's work and stuff. So I can literally invite you guys to guest post on it if I wanted to, to get your take on something, even if it's like contrary to mine, you know what I'm saying? Like it's a real, this thing is like the best platform I've ever seen what you can do on there. That's cool. I I totally like the looks of it. I just ran into tech issues with it this month that have precluded me from migrating interverse stuff there, but I've been telling Gabe for a while. That's the way he should go. It's not that tech complicated. No, it's, uh, it's not that complex. Don't even worry about it. If like, if you don't like you can, there's so many things you can do. You can do video, you can do audio, you can do podcasts, but you can also do articles. It's yeah. like, so you can literally, you guys could literally post your show notes Imagine how awesome the Marvel demystifier shit would be. Look in the fucking show notes with like the, uh, the imagery and you can put stuff behind paywalls so you can give like a portion of it for like free. And then for people who are interested, they'll pay, become a member and get access to it. It's like, it's a way to actually like make a living and it's been very fruitful for me so far. So I think you guys should get on because then we can like invite each other to like, Hey, I want your take on this stuff. This is right up your alley. Yeah, man. Yeah. So I've, I've got a huge weave. I've never even flushed out. It's like, there's all these loose ends on this one around the hammer, but like, the, the the family, the Maccabees family, we have a Maccabees revolt and Maccabees means the hammer. 
That's their family name is the hammer. But it also, of course, has the bees, the bees in there, which is a very, it's a touchy topic. Bees are accepted in some rituals and absolutely forbidden in other rituals. So I find bees are kind of have this uh, embrace to the Greeks and a, refuse, a refusal to the Hebrews, you know. Uh, well, the, the, you slipped and said beeves. And to the to the Druids, the beeve or the bull was highly important to the ritual. You pretty much can't right. do without. Right, right. But then, so we got the Maccabees. And all of these, here's the thing, is it's like a signature of the time of change is upon you. So you got the Maccabees. And then you have um, Martin Luther. Martin Luther, he nailed his 95 theses to that door. Well, in every depiction of him, Every painting of, of Martin Luther, he's got his hammer. They're always they're always including the hammer in Martin Luther's his in his in his biology his biographies. Well, guess what? Martel, Martel is a hammer in French. So there's this really strange like um arc of revolutionaries uh, using the hammer or wearing the hammer as a mantle or as a symbol of their of this, you know, breaking, breaking the old and we're going to reform the new, a reformation. And then, of course, Frederick Nietzsche. We got Nietzsche. Is, uh, his whole thing was the hammer. What if you just stumbled on a new uh, astrotheological history encode? And, like, again, a lot of these people weren't even historical. They're just, a bit, they're just like the Vulcan, whatever. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I love uh, it. All these, like, uh, uh, these stories need to be generated to explain to people why there's been a change in the seculum or the age. So, you know, why they're <laughs> why all of a sudden their world is radically different uh, or as a way to maybe after a population is moved or genocided and replaced with uh, orphan trains. I mean, we know about orphan trains in more modern times. Is this something that's happened in the past before as well? Uh, I don't know, but like maybe this change of seculum when they're indoctrinating the public to their new whatever, you know, it's looking at the they, <laughs> the trans, the trans yes. devil, they, they, them. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> There's yes. some element of needing to wipe, like, see yes. the consciousness with a, a story that is also supportive of the societal boundaries and borders that, that, that they want imposed. I don't know. Right. Here. And then I also we got I've got to point out the judge's gavel. Uh, oh, and the malleus maleficarum, the witch's hammer, you know, but the judge's hammer. I just want people to uh, look up as many definitions to the word order. You know, I've got a, a 1961 Webster's Dictionary and there's 16 definitions for the word order. And then you look up chaos. It's one definition, one sentence long. But the 16 different definitions of order, all of which are very rewarding and valid. Uh, one is. What do you think of Samson with the jawbone of an ass? You know, kind of hammer like. Looks, looks like he's testing a shake weight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but one of the uh, 16 definitions of order. So when the judge nails a gavel, he's saying, order, order, order. So that means secret societies. It means uh, all of the different types of columns, the Columbus family, right? And it also families of the columns. 
Um, but it also means um, public silence. He's literally saying, shut up to the populace when he says, order, order, order. And so uh, there, I just wanted to throw that in the mix, too. While we're talking about things that hammers mean, there's that ritual of the banging of the gavel and screaming out order. And they're always well, doing I forgot their- to say, Gabe, why I brought up Samson at all is because it's in the book of Judges. Oh. And he's called the judge of the Israelites. That's right. And in that, the, in somewhere in there, there's the story of the, the mystery of the lion being turned into honey, extracting honey from the carcass of a lion, some weird shit around. Uh, uh, this is awesome, dude. You guys, we got to wrap it up though, because we're going to keep going. I know, we can't help <laughs> ourselves. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I had a blast. Yeah, I'm glad you came to bring the echidna forward. That is yeah. so cool, man. That is such like a cool Dylan story. Gotten, uh, clean up, you know, third hour Dylan showing up. That's always well, now fun. That I'm like, yeah, yeah. Now that like I'm done with the series, I can like be more free flowing. Like I, I don't have to have like as much of like a rigidity into what I talk about because the series is the series. And so now I can just explore other things. So it's easier. Yeah, I I like it. You're uh, living your best life over there, buddy. (laughs) Good to see it. And I think we're going to get a lot more interesting uh, multimedia content out of you in the the near and long future, for sure. All right, guys. Well, we for an idea with the Spirit World podcast, we can just jump on and go through. uh, You guys don't have any idea how much work I've, I've basically published another book on Subset. Oh, cats out of the bag. There's a spirit world podcast coming. Well, what I'm saying is you got, we could just go, we can now have, I, we, I can just get, cause the thing is, is I get, we can literally just, I can send you my posts, give you access and we can just talk about like, we can lump like three posts into one week and do one show a week talking about these ideas and it'll be a totally refreshing thing. It won't be repetitive because you guys are two different perspectives in mind. You know what I'm saying? So just put your thoughts. Well, Gabe is the Gabe is everybody's most wanted co-host. So you know, if he wants to join us for some or all of that, <laughs> definitely wouldn't mind. Yeah, we man, have a good be, chemistry. That'd be a whole lot of gravy, man. That be sounds fun. Let's do it. <laughs> okay, we'll brainstorm that. Enough of this shop talk, though. Let's wrap, guys. Check out Slick Dissident on YouTube. Great Tide on Substack. That's Dylan Sicosio. Get our collaborative effort in the form of audiobooks that Dylan wrote and I narrated links for those in the show notes. The new one, Holy Sailors is fire. It is out and available on audible. Get in touch with me for some biofield tuning interversepodcast.com slash sound dash healing. And you know, other than that, be good out there. Cause like it feels good to be good. Be good. Love y'all. Catch y'all later. Thanks for hanging out with us, Dylan. Yeah. Thanks guys. See you.